Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefers Initiative. This is the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy the show. Kicking it. Kicking it off. Okay. Welcome. Kick the tires and light the fires. That's right. This is episode 117 of the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics, Herpeticulture Magazine, and I'm joined by me, Phil Wolf. Never's Initiative. I didn't know you were going to do the full intro, my sincere no, apologies. No, I decided to, decided to change it up a little bit. I like it. You know? It's good. Things interesting. Yes. Character uh, building. Yeah. It is... A nice, tepid evening here in South Carolina, and I'm sure even more sort of humid and miserable down at, in Phil's neck of the woods. Yeah, it was like um, 92 today. Ugh. But it's only, what'd you say, like 11 a.m. over there, there, Scott? That's uh, 12 now. Okay. Now it's 12. Yeah, so we're joined by none other than Mr. Scott Iper, all the way in Australia. From the future. Apparently, yeah, from the future. That's right. Hell yeah, man! (laughs) It's been a long time coming. It has. We've talked shit a lot, and we've been (laughs) saying we should do this for a while. Uh, We haven't got there yet. So, um, but it's it's funny. Me and Phil talk about that all the time because you called me. I was at work the other day, and you you called me on Facebook, and I was like, "Oh, it's mm. Scott." It's like Scott from Australia, and it's like he just calls you up, and it's like, "Hey, man, let's do a podcast." It's like, "Okay, cool," and I'm like hanging up, you know, and then I have a customer that's sitting there and I'm like, man, it's like, we live in like one of the coolest times. It was like 30 years ago, having someone from Australia just call you up would have been like a, you know, even a two minute conversation was probably like $30. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, now you can do it for free and instantaneously and the audio quality's good. Like just blows our minds. Yeah. Well, fuck, we're talking live on a video from one side of the globe to the other. Right. Seamlessly. Seamlessly, yeah. Well, you shouldn't have said that because you know it's going to go to shit. Yeah, now it's it's going to fall apart. Uh, So this show is brought to you by MP Cages and Exotics. You need cages, you need racks, you need to hit up Sean. I don't know if he's actually in Florida yet or not. I know it should be happening soon. So if you're on the East Coast, um, that makes life even easier. Uh, And then Steve Snakeshwary and his Venom Hot Sauces... By buying said hot sauces, you are helping Steve uh, do public outreach, uh, take care of the educational animals that he has, his collection. Uh, he does some rehab, like rehabilitation of, of some animals that he removes from properties. And uh, he's just a good dude. So you need to go support him. And I highly recommend the cotton mouth sauce because that's, that's the best one, in my opinion. That's my favorite. We still have that one we haven't tried yet. So I guess I can't fully stamp that as the one for me yet until we get our hands on it. You know they don't they don't have hot sauce down here. Like at all? They don't don't do like hot sauces. Not even sriracha? No, they've got it, but it's not like a fucking thing. Like it seems like in the Mm -hmm. States where people just get like hot sauce and fucking drag it. Dude, you remember when sriracha just blew up here, Phil? Exploded. It was insane. I I will put that on everything. It's good. <laughs> That's a fucking tech I, I song. People in California, right? 
I, mm-hmm. I remember people in California were like bitching about the town where the factory for Sriracha yeah. was. Like they were pumping out so many like pepper fumes that the people whole town like <laughs> yeah, smelled like hot sauce. It's horrible. Okay. Oh, don't get me wrong, like we're a lot chilly and stuff like that. Well, sorry, I'm a bitch when it comes to it. My wife loves it, but um, you know, if it's got like a hint of chili, I'm like fucking sweating and like Ugh, fucking half dying. <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, you know, when we eventually get over there, we'll fucking give it a crack. I've um, yeah, yeah. I've got to try. I've got to try some hot sauce at some point in time. And, you know, my asshole will be fucking hating me the next day, I suppose. But that's all right. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth the ride. Yeah. I mean, I've never been a big hot sauce guy, but I I have an appreciate. Every now and then you get that weird urge where you're like, I want something that's just going to burn the first layer of skin on my tongue off. Get this odd Funny, craving. I never get that urge. I get this odd craving where you're just like, I want to eat lava. <laughs> I can't say that I get that, but I understand what you're saying. Like flaming Hot Cheetos. Like I'm addicted to flaming Hot Cheetos. I don't know why. I just like I'm like a pregnant woman or something. I mean, I look like one, but you know, I get this just urge where it's like I gotta have flaming hot Cheetos like right now. It's crazy. I went to the gas station earlier to get some snacks, and I got Andy's hot fries because Andy's hot yeah. fries take me back to high school, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, and now they have the extra hot flaming hot Cheetos, which are in fact extra hot. So. Just so everybody knows, it's in the black bag. Um, but so we we decided that this episode we weren't necessarily going to talk about just Australia and stuff in general, because um, I know like the NPR guys have had you on, and um, you know Australia is always a big topic when it comes to the Python guys. But since we sort of fancy ourselves more venomous dudes, yes, mm, yes. Uh, I mean, I love Death Adders and the weird species that no one ever gets bit by, but are in fact like toxic and Australia, what, like what better place for a million different kinds of elapids that are like monotypic and nobody has even heard of them. So, yeah, well, we've got some, um, we've got some interesting stuff over here. That's for sure. Um, death adders for me are sort of, uh, you know, they, they don't do much. They're not, not a lot for me, but at the same time, my wife loves them. So, um, you know, Ty loves her adders. And look, don't get me wrong, I like them too. Um, but you sort of get a little bit bored of things after the same, yeah, after so long, you know. But look, you know, we're, it looks like we're, we're on Wells Eye Watch at the moment. Um, yeah. So it's the first time that we've ever bred this species. We've had a crack at trying to breed it for, for the last couple of years. And for whatever reason, we just haven't been able to fucking get everything to align, and um, we ended up sort of going back to to the roots a little bit, and um, had a look at it and thought, well, let's throw them together on a storm and see what happens, and put them together on a storm. Within fifteen minutes, the male was fucking sitting on top of her, and it was awesome. like, yep, fucking ripper. And then so yeah, now we've been weighing, yeah, that's it. And now we're weighing it every day. So trying to work out what that um, to work out the relative clutch mass, uh, so mm-hmm. the RCM, parturition weight, and stuff like that. So to get that postparturition weight, you've got to do your weights almost daily. So at least you know that you've weighed her pretty close to when she was um, uh, pretty close to before she dropped. So 
she's in the last month she's put on 27 grams and a 200 260 gram snake so it's getting pretty close. You can see the movements change. Mm-hmm. She's not sitting nice like she wants to. Um, there's a, a bloke over here by the name of Rob Valenic who's a absolute superstar when it comes to a leopard. Um, yeah, keeps to himself a little bit. He's amazing photographer. Um, yeah, and amazing shots. herper as well. Oh, 100%. And, like, yeah. you know, you look at... Uh, a lot of his photos are taken back in film days, so it's not like you just keep fucking banging on photos like you can these days with digital. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, um, so let me ask you, do, do you weigh her independent of her tub or, or enclosure or whatever, or do you just... So we got a, So we have a tub that's sitting on top of the scales. So we turn the scales on with the tub on it so it tears the weight of the tub and the, the scales, yep. everything's there together, yeah. and then just hook the snake out. Gently, 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 because she's got like an heap of babies in her now. And we don't want to hurt her and, and um, put her in the tub, right down the weight, take her out, stick her head in the water bowl. And that was one thing that Rob said. He goes, one of the things with these, when they're gravid, they drink and drink and mm-hmm. drink. They'll drink like they've never had access to water. Um, and, yeah, sure enough, he's right. It's just about every time you put her in there, she just drinks and drinks and drinks. And there's no... She doesn't seem to be peeing much either. You know, you look at the paper and you're not seeing the urates or the yellowing yeah. from, from pee, so she's just absorbing it. So, you know, interesting, exciting. It's, this is the exciting part. This is the fun part. The best part is when they pop out. So what's the gestation period that. on those? Good, good question. Oh. Yeah. Don't know. How, how, many, <laughs> don't know. how many people um, actually breed wells over? I mean, death adders in general is what I was getting at. Um, most adders are anywhere from 110 to 135 days. Wow. Uh, so we would imagine that these things will be in that mix. Mm-hmm. Um, from the first mating uh, to now is, what was it? I think it's at 98 days right now. So um, but that's the first mating we know about. We had them together two months earlier than that as well. Mm-hmm. But we didn't see any mating. We didn't see any behavioural sitting that they, you know, the snake was sitting in the right spots. They weren't, they weren't curled up together or anything like that. They were just sort of one end of the case to the other. So they may have already mated and we didn't know about that. Um, but, yeah, so we're not 100% sure on that. But uh, as for people who've bred them, a couple of people have bred them over here. Um, but there's a hell of a lot. They were – our animals came from the person who got them – collected legally over in WA. So WA was allowing for legal wild collection for a royalty. Um, and so people were collecting, people collected a few gravid ones and stuff like that. Our animals came from progeny of those gravid animals. So um, from from two different people. So they're, um, they're unrelated. We know they're unrelated in that. We know they're from the same locality, but... Um, as for people who've actually legitimately bred them, maybe one or two. That's it. Awesome. And there's nothing published. Excellent. And is it like is it, with those in particular? Is it just a, an availability thing? Like no one really has any. Is yeah, so people. Yeah, no one's sort of catching them in WA anymore. And um, it's not that they can't. Just nobody's choosing to. Yeah. Um, and you know. 
the people who've got them over here, they've got a single male or a single female or fucking whatever, you know. We've got two boys and a girl, so. Um, and and they're they're pretty remote in the Pilbara, right? Oh, yeah, but the, the Pilbara's got really good access roads in it. You know, there's, there's bitumen roads down to all the mines and, you know, they're... I've never been to the Pilbara, so I, I don't know exactly, but apparently it's meant to be pretty um, – not meant to be too hard to get your hands on when you go over there. But you see – with that is you see lots of males, you see fuck all female. It's uh, like the Australian suburb. Yeah, it really does. You'll find, you'll find males crossing the road all the time. You'd be lucky if you find a female. Yeah. Well, it's it's probably due to their, their um, ecology. You know, these are a sitting mm-hmm. white predator. So the females – they get in their spot and they sit there and they wait for a lizard to come past or a little bird or whatever, and that's that's them done. Um, the males, they're off chasing girls, so you know they they get out and frog and tide and start moving and and you know they uh, that's how people see them, I suppose. But you know we put one of those black banded, we've got a black banded male and a plain male. Uh, we put a black banded male over the female who's a, a reddish coloured female, and, you know. It'll be interesting to see if it's a. I'd say it's an incomplete dominant mutation, the the black banded thing. Um, I suppose we'll see when we get some babies out. Um, one of those questions to, to work out whether or not they they're like that or not. So. Yeah. We'll yeah, I saw I saw your wife posted pictures of the black banded, and I'm assuming it's with the female. And man, that that black banded is just awesome. Like that is. I know you like the Hawkeye more, but that that black bandit just does it for me, man. It's a fucking nice snake. It is a very nice snake. Um, After seeing P and Cody's, you know the Dajaras, I have a much better appreciation for those that that group overall. You know, because it's like you see pictures of them, but when you see just how like velvety those look in person, you know, and just the they've got them on like some sand, I believe. I, I'm drawing a blank. Phil can. Phil probably remembers, but yeah, they have them. Uh, they have them in a, the same style Cambro tub racks that I have, and uh, they basically have it. It's somewhat naturalistic. Uh, it's like a different different grades of sand, and they have a few uh, pieces of dead grass in there and stuff to kind of give them dead cover. Leaves, yeah, yeah. They have the funny uh, thing is, is there's no, there's no fucking sand at Dijara. It's all stone and rock, right? It's all rocky soil. Yeah, yeah. It's decomposed granite. Interesting. Hmm. So they're not on like sandy stuff. They're they're made up predominantly on on rocky soils. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's where um, they got all them opal mines, right? Nah, copper. A lot of copper mines and tin and zinc. Interesting. Um, so so they're on the the Dajaras are on a, a place called the Selwyn Range, and the Selwyn Range is a a rocky range that sort of runs through northwestern Queensland and Acanthophus C.F. Rugosus, uh, which is what we're talking about here, they occur along that. Um, and then you've got the Hawkeye that occur on either side of the Solon Range in the black soil. Um, Hawkeye are the, the largest death hatters. Um, Antarcticus get very close. The largest Hawkeye recorded is... 1.3 meters. Wow. That's a, yeah, a that huge is animal. Yeah. Fucking thicker than my arm. So, it's you know, crazy. it's a massive snake. There was a, a death adder killed 
by car probably a year and a half ago, I think, um, in the Blue Mountains, and that was over 1.2 metres. Wow. Uh, and that was in Antarctica. So, you know, and that's, I suppose that's the problem with a lot of the, the adders overseas is that due to the taxonomic mess that death adders are, um, a lot of people don't know what they're necessarily looking at. Mm-hmm. And everything came over as Antarctica. <clears throat> and so everyone was calling everything Antarctica for years. So people were calling Tajara as Antarctica. They're not Antarctica at all, not even closely related. Um, they're much more closely related to the Indonesian rough-scale death adders, uh, Acanthophus rugosus. So hence why we call them rugosus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, there's another name, Acanthophus wolfi, that's been that's been suggested for them, and you know that that particular uh, that particular name is probably available for the Solan Range adders. Um, it'd be really nice to see a, a proper uh, taxonomic assessment done of, with the genetics and the phylogeny of all the death adders. So, you know, maybe Wolfgang and Co might might eventually do. Mm-hmm. So, so. Very cool. And how and those because like I've had rugosis from Papua, and yep. the biggest one that I ever had was probably maybe ten inches, twelve inches max. So the ones that you have on the main yeah, so females, eh? Well, we had males, we had females, we had pro- possible hybrids. Maxing out a te- maxing it ten inches long. I mean, I only had them for maybe a couple of years, and that was it. Wow. Yeah, I actually have. I have a bunch of pictures of different colored lavis and different colored and sized rugosis that I mean to send you. So, they're, yeah, they're, send them over. They're, they're, they're really crappy pictures because it was cell phones back in the day, but they're 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 good to see what it is. Fucking lavis get huge though. When you say they need a lot of revision on the taxonomic front, you think it's a cryptic diversity thing, kind of similar to like what green trees just went through. Oh, like no, you think there's more? That. You think there's more going on than than what's documented right now? There's um oh well the problem is is it's not so much the taxonomy as the nomenclature. Um, the nomenclature is a uh, is very difficult to sort through. Um, mm-hmm. Whether the names are available, whether they're not. Um, the politics aside, and well, I don't want to get into the politics of all of that. That's that's just a Whole, whole other head fuck, but um, <laughs> the, the, there's a lot of proposed nomenclature, there's a lot of nomenclature that's in existence, and then there's a lot of different animals from different locations that it's very difficult to determine whether or not they are actually from that place. Mm-hmm. Um, the other issue is, is obviously with importers and exporters in Indonesia, you know, how often is the locality taken as the port of right. port of um, export. And so that, and that's nothing new too. That's um, if you go back and you look at some of the descriptions of things like Demanzia papuensis. Um, Demanzia papuensis is originally described from the Huon Peninsula of um, of New Guinea, which is up towards the bird's head part on the western side there. Mm-hmm. Um there's no Demanzia papuensis there, but that's apparently where they come from. So, you know, someone goes through and does a revision later and they do a taxonomic assessment and they go, actually, the Archibald expedition went from this place to this place to this place to this place to this place, to this place 
one of the places they went to was a place called Port Essington in the Northern Territory. And Port Essington is where mulga snakes are described from where, uh, and a number of other things are described from. So they did zoological collections back in the 1800s there. And what happens is those animals all got put onto a boat. They get shipped back to England. The people in the museum then go through and they, they describe all these things. So you know, Gray described um, uh, what he called Naya Australis, which is Sudeikis Australis today, so the Camolga snake, back in 1842 from specimens when he never went to Australia. So he was looking at the animals in jars that came back on ships. And so he goes, oh, that's where it was from. That's where it was from. So something got dumped in, oh, got moved around in the cargo hold. Shit gets moved around all the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's um, there's been a couple of people that have, have really delved really deep into that sort of stuff and looked back into some of those things. So um, Glenn Shea has, has gone through and actually read back through um shipping manifests to try and figure out where something came from and all the rest of it to wow. fix up taxonomic problems and you know you're almost a part part detective part yeah. historian part part scientist part everything to try and sort out these nomenclature issues so um you know but there's no money in taxonomy so um <laughs> you know the unis don't like paying for it um they don't get something big and flashy to fix a name on a specimen from the 1800s that, you know, the hobbyists don't put money back into it, so the hobbyists don't really give a shit, and they just get the shits because they think they know more about the animals than scientists do. And then in some kinds, that's that, that's probably a fair point to make, but in many other times, that's not, the, not accurate at all either. Um, and so you quite often hear about people going, well, I'm not going to use that name. That doesn't make sense to me. They're all different or they're not all different or they're all the same. It has zero bearing on how you keep the animals. Right. right. Yeah. You know, that's been yeah. kind of my motto. Like, they're the ones out there doing the work. Who am I to sit there and say, you're wrong? The only thing that I will, like, refuse to agree with is rhino rats being in Ganyasoma. Because it just it, it doesn't make sense. They even admitted, if I recall Rob Stone talking about it, they even admitted, like, hey, you know, we didn't have a whole lot to go off of, so kind of take this for what you will. But Where are Rhino Rats from? Um, like Montaigne, China. Okay. I suppose it depends on when you look at generic uh, revisions, you've got to look at where you draw the line in the genus as well, you know. I mean, they just uh, moved the flying geckos into. They got rid of Phytozuma and they've, they've moved them into something else. I can't quite remember. Oh, really? Oh, my head. Yeah, and shit, those things fucking glide from one tree to another. But no, they're the same as something else. I think they're back into gecko now, for memory. So it depends on the way you look at uh, your level of. Mm -hmm. How closely related you you deal with the genus, I suppose. Um, yeah, you know, I've got to remember these the are arbitrary little boxes. Yeah, I mean they're not having some sort of standard where they're like everyone's on the same page as far as what that definition is. It's got to be frustrating for well a lot of those guys. So the way it was explained to me, because I I, I thought along those same lines, and and you know to there's. Some of your listeners know a hell of a lot more about this stuff than I do, so you know, I'll, I'll predicate this conversation on that. On you now, I'm a 
an amateur at best, you know. But um, the way it was explained to me is not everything evolves at the same rate. Right. Okay. So evolution to, to evolve at different rates, there needs to be a reason for something to change. Okay. Mm-hmm. If there's no reason for something to change, then it's going to potentially stay fairly fairly similar. And so you can't pick out an arbitrary percentage and say if it's more than 3% different, it's a different species. If it's more than 12% different, it's a different genus. It doesn't work. All right. We've got leaf-tailed geckos here that, that live in Australia that Phalurus um, isis is the one I'm thinking of. And Phalurus isis from one hill to another that you can almost throw a rock at between the two. They're less than a kilometre apart. You know, these are effectively like sky islands on steroids. So they're islands in the tropics. These things live in rainforest above a certain meterage. They never go down to the bottom and come back up. They basically stick on their one tree. So these things never move. Um, the percentile differences between the two populations that are less than a kilometre apart is over 17%. Ooh, Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Right? So, the, the, you know, there's this huge rate of mutation in between these, these two animals and they've forced them to, to, um, to become very different genetically. And yet, identical, they're absolutely identical to look at. You cannot tell them apart. And so, by not being able to morphologically tell them apart at all, by them living almost next to each other, Chances are they are, you know, they, if you used an arbitrary percentage, then, you know, you go, oh, they're, def- they're definitely different. No, mm-hmm. They're the same. I think so, the frustration is just like science being a field where like everything's defined by standards and sort of everyone's on that same page and everything's like everyone follows the same quote unquote rules. And then to have that sort of be a free for all in a sense, you know, I think that's kind of where I, it doesn't really add up to me that, that that would be how it is. But I mean, once again, but it I'm, comes back I'm a college dropout, so I can't say shit, but it comes back to, I didn't even finish high school. So um, it comes back to looking at different concepts as well. So you've got the phylogenetic species concept, the biological species concept, morphological species concept. So you have different concepts and different mm-hmm. names have been applied to different standards. Um, with the phylogenetic species concept, are you using nuclear DNA? Are you using mitochondrial DNA? Did you look at karyotyping before that? What were you using to make those determinations? Mm -hmm. And so you can't all align them all to be the same because they're not all the same. The burdens of proof are different as well. And we, we as people strive to do better as we move forward. And so, and as a result, the, the, the rules around the nomenclature or the, the ICZN, the International Con- Convention for Zoological Nomenclature, the rules of that change. And so that's why there's different editions of the code because as things change, they need to deal with different things. Um, you know, I can travel from Sydney to Melbourne on my feet. I can travel on a horse. I can use a car. I can use a plane. Mm-hmm. All different ways of arriving at one place to another. Just some ways are more efficient and some ways are more uh, are probably better than others, I suppose. And so 
we've got to remember that this is always going to be an evolving process itself. Right. It's always no, going to be no end better. end result. It's always it's going to continue to be shifting and changing and yeah. And we see that too, right? So if you think back to and I mean, how long have you guys been keeping keeping hurts for? Oh man, uh, I don't know, close to t- at least twenty five years. Yeah, I mean, a majority of my life. Twenty five years, yeah, yeah. probably. What about yourself, Justin? Probably the same. I mean, I'm not far off. Uh, yeah, we're talking about on like a serious. So, we're talking about on like a serious level. Then, yeah. I mean, we're looking at fifteen. Yeah, 15. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go fifteen to twenty easy because I mean, high school you're still a kid, but you are learning as much as you can. You know. Okay. So, I've I've been keeping herps now for. Well, I started keeping when I was five years old, right? Um. So I've been keeping Hertz for 35 years. In 1985, right, Owen oh, Pelly pythons have been described for eight years, right? So yeah. you go back eight years prior to that. So you go back into the 1970s, say 1975, Owen oh, Pelly pythons didn't exist. Rough-scale pythons didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Brettles pythons didn't exist. Owen Pelly's rough scales and, and brettles are three quintessential Australian pythons. You know, if I said to you, oh, yeah. think of Australian pythons, there'd be three that would most likely come to mind. 100%. Right? 100%. They, didn't, they weren't thought to be something else. They just didn't exist. Nobody knew about them, right? Yeah, it's not. No scientists knew about them, right? Right, so, but it's, it's not like – and it's not like it was something that everyone knew. They just assumed that brettles were carpets. You know what I mean? It's – they didn't physically see them. Like they literally didn't have any idea that they were there. Yeah, yeah. It, the first the first white person to see uh, an Owen Pelly python was in 1972, I think. If memory. Wow. Um, and no one had seen rough scales until I think 79. The first one was seen. So, yeah. um, it's it's pretty incredible. So then you talk about a place like West Papua, or mm-hmm. some of these hills. In, um, in different parts of Indonesia, different islands, things like that. Western Ghats Mountains in on yeah. the western side of India, parts of Africa, parts of South America. People haven't herped it. Yeah. There's things there that I guarantee you there is some incredible animals. Look at Mangshan vipers. Mangshan vipers, when were Mangshans described? 2007, I think. Sounds well, about right. I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was 2007. Might have been 2005. Right, so Mangshans are are relatively recent. In the time that you've been keeping reptiles, almost Mangshans have been described. Yeah, they go from being uh, no one knew about Mangshans before him. Well, even that, that one uh, Madagascar, yeah, that Madagascar cat-eyed, uh, cat-eyed snake a couple years ago. I don't remember the the genus, but the species is Lolo. That okay. one was that was only yeah. a couple years ago that they found that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Naya mandalatensis, Naya, uh, what's the fucking huge spitter out of w, out of Central Africa? Uh, Nubia, I think it is. Yeah. Um, or or Ashi. 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 Right. So after James Ash. That's been described since you guys have been keeping fucking snakes. And, and what's crazy is, is that I, I have an Ashes Cobra and I bought it as a juvenile. Uh, Nigrasinkta, Nigrasinkta, 
because that's what it looked like. And it came in on a legitimate import from Kenya. And I was like, man, this thing looks weird. Like it doesn't look, it doesn't look like Negrosinta. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait a minute, that isn't even in that region. Why would they just, why would they put that on the list like that? And I want to keep in it. And literally like nine, 10 months later is when that description paper came out. So, and now that it's an adult, it clears days and ashes. So when did, um, when did Shida Sarasti's Arachnoides describe? When was that described? That wasn't described that long ago either. No, that, that was 2014, I think, something like that. I was going to say that's inside of 10 years. Yeah. I could have sworn it was 2014. So this is my point, right? So oh, I'll, I'll circle back to where I was talking about now. Right, right. So if we have our animals in our in our square pegs and we're going to go, collet snakes are most closely related to spotted black snakes and spotted black snakes are... Uh, they form a sister group to, to Papuan black snakes and butler eye and Australis are, are not too far away. That's how the, the black snake group works. Well, hang on a second. Now I've got to take this fucking piece and I've got to put that in the middle. So things are always going to be continually changing. So it's for us to sit back and go, we've got it all sorted out. Shit. So many things that we already think we knew have been thrown on its fucking head. So yeah, I'd rather go, well, it doesn't matter. Let's yeah. let's go back and let's um, keep the animals for what the animals are. Try and keep them as pure as we can because we don't know what's going to happen. Because the reality of it is, is all children's pythons were all children at one point in time. There was no such thing as maculosa yeah. or stinsony or pathensis. Right. right. Um, all scrubbies were all all amethystina. So. There's a lot of changes and there's a lot of ch- look what what green iguanas have been split into what fucking four species or something. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Have they really? All constrictors have been yeah. split into how many? How many boas and green iguanas? Yeah, it took them forever to do boas. Boas were long overdue. Yeah. Now you've got guys saying that you know uh, long tails are the exact same thing as Argentinians and clearly the not yeah. only the the visual aspect is different the physical morphology of it is different but who the hell knows it's just that that line gets blurred when you refine it like the closer you get in that bottleneck that's when it starts to get subjective yeah absolutely i do find it interesting though that as i don't want to say as common as deathies are and as popular of a species to keep because of the relative ease of husbandry and the relative size and the fact that they're not high speed, so to speak, I'm a little shocked that people haven't jumped on really defining what's what, you know? People don't like validating certain, certain individuals. <laughs> what do you say? How long was it that for Death Adders in, in Death Adders' case, pre-1998, it was... Three species of death adder in Australia were right. generally accepted. Um, it was very well known about. I mean, Wells Eye was known before Hoser described it. Um, there was photos of it put up of this weird-looking black death adder um, in a Monitor magazine back in 1996 or 1994, I think. And I remember seeing it just going, what the fuck is this? This is insane, <laughs> you know. Um, actually, I think, I think, I think, I think, 
think there's a photo of it published. And for those of you who are listening, behind Scott Sorry. is a literal wall of books. It's a legitimate wall, and it's considerably taller than he is, and it's nothing <laughs> but her books, and it's breathtaking as a backdrop. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I'm pretty happy about it. Just to paint a uh, picture for those of you in your mind. Yeah, yeah well, you know, that's, it's, uh, so this book was published in 92. And oh, wow. Yeah. Look at that. So there's a Wells Eye there, published in 92. And then there is that one, which is a wow. Hawkeye. Now, oh, those are awesome. I'm looking at the point that I'm making is, is that we've known for a long time. Yeah, yeah dude, I, I'm sorry. I, I know, Scott, I know you like the Hawkeye, but the Wells Eye is just that band, that black banded, man. It's stellar. Oh, yeah, it'll put a horn on a jellyfish for sure. Fucking nice. That's um, hilarious. I'm stealing that, by the way. <laughs> what's that? It'll put a horn, it'll on, put a horn on a jellyfish. <laughs> now, how, yeah, how many so species are there now? Um, accepted currently. Ceramensis is is more or less accepted um, from Ceram. Uh, you've got Lavis and then Rigosis in uh, New Guinea. In Australia, you have Lavis on the. Um, they've just been recorded on one of the Torres Strait Islands, so they're technically Australian now as well. You have Rigosis, which is probably different to the. You got the Rigosis at. Uh, on the Selwyn Range, then you have the Rigosis that you have in the top end, which is probably the same as the one you got in New Guinea. Mm. Um, you've got Hawkeye, Antarctus, Wells Eye, Hurris. Uh, Wells Eye is probably two taxons as well. Um, what else? Lancaster Eye and um, uh, Prolongus proper. So there's a few. There's a few. I think there's. Nine or ten, I suppose. So, so I, I've, I mean, as far as what I've seen available in the private sector here, I've seen Dejaras and I've seen Rugosis. I don't know if any others are coming. Out, if Phil's you got Lavis over there. Yeah, but, the, 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 but with the exception of Cody and Pia's that came from a private breeder outside of the country, that has the, even those, I think they came in as an Articus. And most of the stuff that it, let, let's face it, if you go on any of the marketplaces in the past and you go digging back, you'll see a number of different looking death adders and they're all marked Antarcticus. And that just goes back to what Scott was saying earlier is that it, people just assume that it's Antarcticus. So unless it came in on a, on a Papuan shipment or an Indonesian shipment and it was definitively a Indolavis or Indorugosis, everyone else just labeled an Aussie snake as Antarcticus. And that's the problem. They, they've got it wrong. Because death adders, some death adders will mate with a fucking piece of rope. Um, <laughs> they'll fucking, they'll crossbreed. Um, and so a proper common death adder, right, which I'm just sending you now in the fucking chat, and you can, I don't care if we throw these up somewhere or whatever so people can see them um, later on down the track, but I'll send you through a, a photo of an actual common, right, and the common adders look completely different to... Uh, to rugosis, right? And the habitat that you get rugosis is completely different as well. Um, uh, 
And so I've just sent those through, so we'll see how we go with that. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, look, I mean, at the end of the day, most people are keeping things overseas. They're doing the best they can with what they have or with what they know. They're not doing it mm -hmm. deliberately, but the amount of death adders over there that I see that don't look right, and they say, oh, yeah, that's a pure Dajara. doesn't look like a Dajara to me at all. Um, yeah, that's like that's like you know the the brettles that we have here, <clears throat> they really don't look like brettles in the wild, from what I gather. And we have no, a guy that can verify that. Casey we, we do have a guy that can verify that, who is a consistent brettles breeder, and has seen them in the wild. Yeah, brettles in the water are much broader than they than they are in captivity. Yeah, though I remember the pictures he posted of his, they were almost like orange, but not in sort of the way that we had like a I don't know the best way to describe it. It's not a it's not a bright orange, it's like a burnt orange. Right. So not as like brick red or darker red as we have here in most collections. Like when you see it, you if you'll you'd know what I was talking about, but yeah. it's just different. I don't I don't want to say like mustardy. But just fucking fluorescent in the wall. Oh, yeah. So now the death editor that Scott has just sent us that's a common is almost a a brick brown or, or a, 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 a more sandy red color. And the bands are very, very faint. The tail is darker than the rest of the animal. And uh, there really isn't any real head markings of any kind. Yeah. So the one below it is a, is a Jajara. Wow, totally different contrast. Mm -hmm. So now you have a yeah, the head shape's totally different. You have definitive bands that run, you know, the entire length of the animal's body. It has a creamy white belly, and and the bands are either a, a rust, a rust orange, a rust red color, and then a, a bright, almost like a, a I don't want to say khaki with orange tipping to it. Is that a fair? Description, gentlemen. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a re that's a reasonable comment. Looks like a baby uh, cotton mouth. Very, very. I would say it's way prettier. <laughs> I mean, like, as for in terms of like the 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 very thin black sort of separating those bands a little bit and sort of the right. the faded and, look. And just going off memory, it almost it really looks like that's what P and Cody have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that that would fit the the description. I'm pretty sure they're they're referring to them as that. So then I sent you through. There's one on green there. That one on green is an actual prolongus. Okay. Most people don't actually know what prolongus actually is. I've never heard of those. I'll send you over a nice looking one in a second. Uh, so the prolongus um, is very, very similar in coloration to the common, but the bands of the animal are more defined. It's still faded and not as pronounced as, as the previous animal, but it, it's definitely not quote unquote the normal looking animal. I love how Ryan Cox makes files a, a formal complaint about us looking at pictures and not describing them. And now Phil has given like every single picture. Well, it's cause you know, we listen to our, we listen to our, our fans and our listeners and you know, I'm looking at these beautiful things and I want to try and articulate as best I can what the hell we're looking at, you know? Um, Ooh, All right, that so that's the well, we'll throw these photos up in Snakes and Stogie as well. As yeah, well. yeah, sure. 
Isn't that so, great? Cat? Black eyes, just pits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Looking into the abyss. So now this, this. Have you almost, got the black and white one yet? I've got the black and white one. So what is this? That's a prolongus as well. Wow. So what's so the difference now, between that one and the first one? Just two, you know, a black one or a gray one and a oh, red okay. one. Oh, okay. Just different phenotypes. Yeah, yeah just different phenotypes. So, so now we're looking at a, a essentially almost looks anatheristic. Um, yeah. You're looking at an animal with a black a black head, with black eyes, and white on the mouth, with some you know hash marks of black on its lips, and the banding is extremely pronounced, but it's grayscale. You know, there's very very faint color. It's mostly you know drab gray and brown with cream white in between. The tail tip is is stark white. Uh, it, it looks like a, a banded animal that's anatheristic. It's not. Or it's not damn poetry, Phil. I meant to say exanthic, excuse me. You paint a picture so well. You're like a, a verbal Bob Ross. I'm trying here. It's uh it's a thing of beauty. And what's crazy is so now that black and white one, where's that come from? Uh that one's from a place called White Mountains. Uh which is a it's a sandstone uh, sandstone area. Um very, you know, it's a real whitish sandstone, and so that's probably why it's done so well. That's what I was, I was looking at that. Like compared to like the speckled rattlesnakes, do you find that given sort of the habitat you're finding them in, do you find they they sort of color match wise that that same general sort of area? Yeah, they do sometimes. Um, so I'm sending you through. So the the one I've just sent you at sunset, that's a a hawk eye. The next one I'm sending you is a common. And the common I've sent you is completely in situ. I didn't touch that snake. Now, um, real quick before I take a look at those, so that just going back to that black and white banded one, the prolongus. Mm. Now, where in Australia is that locality? That's is that North Queensland. So I North knew East, it. Northeast I, Queensland. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it, but I called it because the nephrus asper that comes out mm -hmm. of that whole northeast Queensland or the Cape York and all they're black and white zebra. And that's I, I just got that gut feeling like that's got to be where that's from because they're so similar in appearance, and it, it's crazy. So, so now this one. Well, that's I I, that. since, you're a, since you're a bit of a nefarious head, I'll um please I will, I will help you. because uh, <laughs> so I don't trust like snakes. <laughs> so now this one that's at sunset. Which one is this? So that's oh. a Hawkeye. So that's Hawkeye, and that's black soil? Yep. So here we have a picture of uh, a sunset that's fading off into the horizon with lots of dead grasses coming out of a, a cracked black soil, you know, flat earth with this banded death adder that is just different shades of tan and taupe banding, very, very contrasting with black tipping to each scale, some black markings on the face, like lateral lines behind the eye, and it, it it's awesome. <laughs> All right, what is this now? Wow. So that's an Antarcticus, as as saying. Wow. Where I, I can't even see where the body the is. So I just freaking see the eye is cool as hell. So that just runs along that log. Oh yeah, yeah. It's okay. Half it's half under the. It's half yeah. under the leaf litter. 
Very impressive. Uh, what you call cryptic basking, I suppose. So I was about, I was lying about 15 centimetres away from that snake on the ground in front of it. Awesome. Didn't move. Did not move. So there's a White Mountains Asper. Oh, wow. Excellent. Excellent. I imagine they don't you, all look. They don't all look pretty like thingos. Yeah, this, yeah, they don't all look this. But I imagine if you wash that animal off and got all that dust and, and that that all that dust off of it, you can see it still has the bright purple eye. It still has the the the, the cryptic markings on the face. It still has the bands on its back. Awesome, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. no, they they go all right. Um, yeah, you, you, you never mind seeing those on the road. You see them quite common. Um, Funny is if that I animal do. was here in the states, it'd be it'd be a four thousand dollar gecko. Yeah, I, I like seeing him in the bush. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just such, <laughs> such a, it's such a nice animal to see in the bush as well, you know. Um, yeah, man. And in some places, they're super common too. Like, um, and they're, they're they're funny, you know. You'll you'll go to one place. There's a a place that I know that they're they're really common. But they're only common on certain nights. For some reason, you you never see them. Um, Is it like a lunar cycle thing, maybe? Fucked if I know. I try to go out when the when the moon's uh, a new moon, wherever possible, um, particularly in open environments. Um, that's an in situ asper. There, look as well. at that wow. triumphant bastard. I know. Look at the tubercles yeah. on the neck and the throat. That's crazy, man. I got to get yeah. my hands on these things. Uh, it's, it's I, nice. Uh, it's a different style. A different style fight. I don't usually see of them. So. Yeah, yeah. I swore off things with legs, and like now that I've been friends with Phil for a while now, I just can, every time we talk about knobs, I just get more and more intrigued. Yeah, man. I'm, yeah, not, I'm not going to do it. There's some funky ones out there. You guys have only got the tip of the iceberg over there. I know. I know. Don't remind me. It's just an excuse oh, for yeah. us to go to Australia, <laughs> Phil. I know. Yeah. yeah well, I'll, send, I'll send you over. I'll send you a couple more nice photos as well. People are going to be listening to this, going, "What the fuck? Why can't I see these photos?" <laughs> so, well, yeah, so, so right. just you're gonna you're gonna make a little little collage of this to put on the uh, the podcast page. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Put a few of them up there if you want. Uh, I think I asked you when we had you on Snakes and Stogies at one point. Um, like you, I think you said Death Adder bites weren't terribly common. Um, in in sort of um, in captivity, they're common, but they're not very common outside of captivity. Uh, um, yes, people people get bitten by them all the time in captivity because they put their hands too close to the fucking things. Um, but uh but yeah so, so you, yeah, they, you, are, they are very quick so you but just in the sent, wall, very very rare you just sent a picture of i'm gonna guess that is that us and talents uh pilbarensis that's pilbarensis no yep. the the gecko yep oh wow the furious pilbarensis that should cool. be a full species too by the way that's there's yeah there's, God, um, little, if little you little get a trolls. Split, well, Shai and Aspa are the same distance apart that um, uh, Pilbarensis and I think it's Pilbarensis and, and Levis are apart. So, yeah. very um, cool. 
And now this so there's a with the coin that's a sh that's a Shai. No, that's an Aspar. No, that's a that's a juvenile Aspar. Yeah. Right. I picked that up from 200 meters away with a, a technique called eye shining. Wow. Very right, cool. So eye shining. So eye shining is where you use a, a head torch. Bring the head, bring the head torch down to as close as you can between your eyes. Right. And then you basically look for the light reflecting back at you. Um, I reckon that's how you get subox, eh? Yeah, some people do. I reckon yeah. you get yeah. subox from fucking miles off with it. Yeah. It seems like they don't use that in the States very often for some reason. Well, we, we do. And, like, I know, like, when I'm in the glades, we'll always use it for, for alligators and crocodiles. But you really don't – it really doesn't work on snakes at night, for at least for the South Florida stuff that I've seen. And I bet it does. Yeah, I'm just I doing bet it wrong. It does. Yep. It's so much easier to get gators and things like that than it is to get geckos and snakes. Okay. So I'll put it to you this way. If you're doing it right, the hemidactylus that run around on your house, yeah. you should be able to get eye shine from them from 50 metres away. All right. So now I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how to – That's how. honestly, that's how I teach people how to do it. Okay. Awesome. I say go to the end of your driveway and you should be able to see the eye shine from the geckos on your house. Right. And if you're seeing a gecko that's two inches long and you're getting the eye shine from a gecko that's two inches long from 50 metres away, once you train your eye to it and you understand mm -hmm. what that what you're looking for, fucking kill it. I mean, up here, if you shine, we have wolf spiders everywhere. Yep. So if you shine a light on the ground, it's like, I mean, the, it's almost like there's someone dropped like jewelry or something on the ground. They're just, they're everywhere. Yep. And it's, if you yeah. don't like spiders, it kind of sucks because you're like, what are those? And it's like, oh yeah, those are spiders. And they're like, oh, you shit. walk up to lots of spiders, but yeah. what you'll find is they twinkle, right? Spiders twinkle, whereas mm -hmm. geckos don't, right? You know why they twinkle? Because no. you got multiple eyes. Multiple eyes. You're picking up yeah. the reflection from one eye at a time. So it twinkles because the eye, each you're picking up the reflection off a different eye as you move. Because you're picking it up, it gives that twinkling effect because it one sort of seems to jump, and that's what gives it that twinkle. Makes sense. So if awesome. you see a move your head slightly, if it sort of twinkles a little bit, you go, ah, spider, don't waste your time. Walk up to the next thing that's, that's right. Gecko you know, wash on two is dull. So it, and it as the pupil constricts, it becomes duller as well. So if you start off and it's nice and bright and then starts to dull off, you're usually on the money. Yeah, so like that photo of the Pilbarensis, how did you get the pupil so wide? Was that were you in just darkness? Put the photo was, in the dark, yeah. Yeah. Very impressive. I um I've tried to do like with my geckos I have at home, I've tried to do like a redhead torch. Or I'll, I've even tried a black light, and believe it or not, the black light they do not like that light at all. They do and not like black light. They, they can see light. black light. Yeah, and uh, very very adverse reactions, which I was shocked. Um, but you know, what I think that I'm gonna I'm literally gonna put a, a gecko in a deli cup on the other side of the house and just practice. <laughs> no, no, don't don't use a don't use one that you know where it is. Oh, good call. Yeah, good let call. it loose in your house and then do it. Oh, yeah, sure. Now you, sure. Now you have to find it. Yeah, exactly. Right. The ultimate. But if you, honestly, you, you guys that have geckos running all over the, all yeah. over the place, wouldn't you? Right, right. So just yeah. Every, yeah, I mean, I don't. Phil has them more than I do. We just have turkicus up here. And even then, they're mm -hmm. kind of in like small mini populations on various apartment complexes and stuff, depending on what part of town you're in. 
But oh, gee, you'd probably get fucking shot, wouldn't you? Fucking walking up to a place fucking Maybe. in the States with a oh, fucking yeah. head torch on. Like, oh, yeah. What the fuck are you? I'll fucking shoot you. I mean, unfortunately, yeah. they're on my building that I that I work in. There's a population of them. So. Yeah. But if yeah. you, once, you, once you figure out how to do it, it's such an awesome way of uh, chasing up critters. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, it's super and obvious and gators. Like gators, you can see yeah, it's, immediately. So you can see crocs and stuff like that from two hundred meters, three hundred meters off. Yeah, you know, it's they, it's due to the size and that because the eyes sit up so high in the head as well, and they almost like they're on a turret. It doesn't matter; mm-hmm. they're very, very wide directions on them. Whereas in geckos and snakes, eyes tend to be sitting down lower. Eyes aren't as large, and therefore. Nowhere near as good with the rest of the eye shine. Um, yeah. Plus, if you're if you're shining a crocodilian, it's typically in water and nothing else is. There's nothing no, in the way. There's nothing in the way. There's no foliage or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like saying turtles in the wild as well. Like you can see turtles from fucking miles off as well. Once you know what to look for as the the note when the nose breaks the surface, you go, oh yeah, there's a fucking turtle cruising around there. You, you know what you're looking for. Um, it's all about sort of training your eyes to see uh, what you're trying to see, you know. So awesome! Yeah. I love it. So, well, yeah. I know you wanted to talk because I made that uh, a post earlier. So I was scrolling through Facebook, and there was a guy that got bit by a mamba in North Carolina. And so the Riverbank Zoo, which is in Columbia, supplied, I believe it was six or ten vials of antivenom for that. Ten vials are useful. And. Uh, yeah. And so I look, I was, I saw some comments. There was like 15 or 20 on that particular post at the time. And so I was like, let's see what they're, what they're saying, knowing that it was going to be people that are just like, what the hell? And lo and behold, it was. And so I was talking about how, like, this is how the public sees what we do. Like, this is, there is no, uh, like, oh, that's cool. You know, that's neat. It's people saying, why are you, why are people allowed to keep, Mambas or any other yeah. venomous, venomous pets, you know, quote unquote. Right. Um, and it was like, this is, this, it boils down to the YouTube circus is what a lot of these people are going to be seeing if they either happen to stumble across these things, given the algorithms that a lot of these sites use now. If you look at like a news story like that, you're probably going to get something in your feed that's related. Um, and it's just like, so I said, I've, I've said a lot, like the odds for us versus the general public are, are very much stacked against us. Uh, I know, Phil, we were talking in the group chat with Casey and stuff, and Casey made a good point of, you know, if it were up to public vote, we, we wouldn't have a prayer. Um, right, right. And it's just like that kind of stuff, the YouTube bullshit doesn't, doesn't help. You know, yeah. So, how long do you reckon you guys are going to be keeping venomous snakes in for in Florida? Uh, I don't know. I don't like to think about it. I don't like to. I, I got maybe it's maybe it's ignorance, maybe ignorance is bliss. But I don't like to dwell on something that is completely hypothetical and or completely out of my control when certain things are brought to my attention and I perhaps have somewhat of a say in it maybe I will evaluate it more in my mind. But as of right now, like 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose sleep over it because nothing's really happening yet, and there's nothing I can do about it because I just I look at it like this: if if a state wants to make a law, they're gonna make a law. They're not gonna vote on it. They're just gonna do it. So until something really is brought to light, so to speak, I'm not gonna freak out about it. And that's just my personal opinion. And maybe people think that's wrong, but I'm going to continue to support U.S. ARC best I can. I'm going to continue to raise awareness where it needs to be and try and educate people that are not savvy to our, you know, way of thinking. But I'm not going to I'm not going to freak out just yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, do you guys do you guys have these issues in Australia? Where you have 100%. people telling you what you like, like flat out wanting to ban things, even though all you have is native. Well, <laughs> mostly native. I say that because there was that article about someone finding a corn snake not that long ago. But, oh, corn snakes are established over here now. Um, much as I had to say, they are. Um, look, I think the the Australian legislation is is very good for the most part. Um, I think that venomous keeping should be regulated to a point. Um, I think it should be able to be done, but it should be done. You need to take into consideration not only your own health and safety, but the health and safety of the people around you as well. And I think that um, you know, there's there's a place for responsible responsible reptile keeping in general, whether it's venomous or not. Um, the issue is, is that there's lots of people that don't want to do things responsibly, and they want to take shortcuts, and they, you know, they don't want to have their their rooms locked, or they don't want to have, um, they don't think they need to do this, or they don't think they need to be able to do this, and they don't want to have to meet a certain expectation because previously people didn't need to do that. Well, shit changes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it does. Just, just because you used to be able to do that doesn't mean to say that that is the right way to do it. Right. Um, I mean, cars used to not have seatbelts. You know what I'm saying? 100%. 100%. And so, you know, the, the whole – I don't think we necessarily need to police ourselves, but I think we need to make sure that we do things in a responsible manner and when we're – when people are seeing it, um, because there will be people that go fucking, you know, it's the hell, the whole hell and love joy fucking mentality. Won't somebody think of the fucking children? Well, yeah, people do. People like getting involved in other people's fucking business because they got nothing better to do with their time, and so they think it's a yeah. fucking outrage that you know someone's keeping venom mistakes because it might get out and it might fucking bite them. Oh. Fuck, you know, in, in the southern US, the chances are that the kid's going to get smacked by a fucking cotton mouth or a fucking rattlesnake before they get smacked by a cobra. You know, yeah, um, or, or better yet, they're going to get hit by a fucking bus way before they ever even see a snake. Yeah, or play with a fucking gun and it goes off. You know, so, um, and, and I suppose you know, you look, we we handle legislation a hell of a lot better, it would seem over here in Australia than, than what happens in the US. People overseas seem to, um, we just seem to go with whatever fucking laws the government tells us to fucking deal with and we just go, oh, yeah, okay, fair enough, and we roll over. 
Um, whereas you guys don't seem to roll over as quickly as we do to our government. Right. Um, it's in our blood. I think, yeah, I mean, it goes back to, there's a very, very American way of thinking of, okay, I see your rationale, but why? And a lot of times now I'm seeing it, it's very emotionally based. There's not a lot of rational thought nowadays. And there's a lot of people doing knee-jerk reactions because of their first opinion of something opposed to really evaluating it and thinking about it. That goes for a lot of stuff. But, just animals. but the reality of it is, is we've seen fucking nothing yet. You wait yeah. to the, the, the reptile yeah. fucking, the reptile king, tiger king fucking reptile version, whatever it is, with fucko one and fucko number two. When that comes out, reptile keeping is now going to be put in front of the fucking masses because they had the Tiger King before and the Tiger King, no one really gave a shit too much. I mean, people cared, but nobody really gave a shit really about the, the private, the people keeping lions and fucking tigers yeah. and shit like that in, in captivity. I bet they give a fuck about it now. Yeah. How much legislation changed in the US in regards to the private keeping of tigers and fucking all those sorts of animals after yeah. Tiger King came out? People didn't even realise that people did it. Yeah, I mean, according to Henry, our buddy Hendog, you know, a lot came out after that, legislation-wise. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I know in my where I live, in the, the city or county I live in, um, they banned that stuff long before that came out. I mean, ironically, Jeff Lowe, who was in that, used to have a liquidation business here in Beaufort, and he was trying to open a zoo-ish sort of thing with lions and tigers and bears and the county got wind of it and said absolutely not and laid out a laid out a ban and yeah. then you know fast forward 10 years and or eight years whatever and there you see him on the tv doing it somewhere else so uh, and i think that's the way they're going to do it too. i don't think they're necessarily going to ban it in the state straight off the bat they certainly won't ban it federally mm-hmm. they'll ban it via county and go not city ordinance you can't you can't do this here I can move somewhere else. Yeah. And so long and the short of it, more and more I'll go, well, fucking we don't want them here either. Fuck, we'll ban it too. And next thing you know, no one can fucking do it. Mm-hmm. You know? And then they go, all right, okay, well, you can only do it for educational purposes or whatever. And then people set up sham education businesses. The people that were breaking the laws are going to still break the laws anyway. They couldn't yeah. do shit. Right, right. That's the most and frustrating the, part. Yeah, it's the ones that do the wrong thing are the ones that, are always going to do the wrong thing, so it doesn't make a difference to that. The ones that do the right thing, they're the ones that are impacted by by legislative change, and that's the what they don't. And I suppose that's where the the public don't necessarily understand. You know, um, it's, it's not that they, so- they don't understand. It, it's not that they don't understand. They don't care. You know what I mean? They they mm-hmm. don't care. It, it, their minds made up for one thing or another, and it's their way or the highway. They don't understand the rationale. They just don't. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think they give a shit. You know, um, and I know uh, that there was there was way more legislation passed after there was an individual in the north in the Midwest of the United States who had some kind of I don't want to call it a sanctuary, but for lack of a better word, a sanctuary with bears and big cats and stuff, and uh, he went nuts and wound up releasing all the animals and committed suicide. And that itself did way more legislation than 
any kind of document documentary. Um, Is that but, that dude in Oklahoma or something? Something, Ohio. something like that. Ohio. Uh, but but again, th that in itself. So that was a major major thing because lots of people were involved with that. It wasn't just somebody watching a show and getting an opinion. So I don't I don't see it in my personal opinion. I don't see it being as drastic. I mean, I don't. We don't know what it looks like yet. We haven't seen the documentary, but. I don't imagine it being as drastic, but it is going to be brought more to light because Fuck. it's going to be in people's it's going to be in people's faces. What's the fucking best that Muppet is fucking smashed on camera with that King Cobra goes on there? That that the footage of the King Cobra at Crushfield's place, mate. That's that's going to be in there for sure, and that'll be one of the fucking that'll be one of their rating rating episodes because people want to see the fucking car crash. People want yeah. to see someone get fucked up. That's right. what they want to see. Right, so that's why Jackass was so popular. Exactly. What's that exactly. So that's why Jackass was so popular. Oh, 100 percent. And, and look, oh, I fucking lie. I found fucking Jackass hilarious. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It was yeah. funny. It's funny shit. But but compare that too. Compare the shit in Jackass compared to the shit that you know that, that we're talking about here, right? Yeah. You know the stuff in Jackass. You know tying a fucking. Getting a fucking, you know, yeah, fishing line to your tooth or something and fucking and driving a Ferrari off in the opposite direction or whatever to pull your fucking tooth out and tying yeah. it on the wrong tooth or some shit. Yeah. yeah. That's funny shit. Yeah. Right? You know, someone walking into a hardware store and taking a dump in a fucking toilet. Yeah, okay, that's funny. It's all relatively <laughs> harmless fun, you know. Right. Um, shit, you know, riding a bull. All, all that stuff's relatively harmless. This stuff is not relatively harmless. This is being a fucking moron. Now, um, I will say this. I, I do have a I do have a, a marginal bit of hope. And that is where, you know, there's the running joke that the sequel's never as good as the original. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I, I look at the individuals that we personally know are going to be in this show. And as far as I know, you, you don't have the taboo romances you don't have the it's florida man they're gonna find something i know but i'm saying you don't have you don't have the taboo <laughs> romances you, you don't have the the attempted murder you know hiring a hitman you, you don't have conspiracy theory about people getting eaten by tigers like like you don't have all, all that in it per se so i'm depends on how far hang on phil yeah depends on how far uh, they go with that right well i, I know some I we all know true. fucking stories about people that yes. have been fucking fed to crocodiles and yeah, you know and, stories about people has, being fucking... Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot of shit that's gone sideways over the years over a lot of people and... Does that happen out there? People like mob mob killings where they throw them to crocodiles? They just take them down the river? Nah, fuck. You know, there's, there's, Is the um, Australian there's mob even a thing? Nah. nah. Oh, I, I wouldn't know anyway. So I'm a good fella, so... <laughs> Well, I don't fucking. I'm not that way inclined, um, and I'm not taking a piss there either. I'm, you know, I keep my head down. I stay the fuck away out of that stuff. I'm, I've got a few tattoos and all the rest of it, but I'm not a hard man. So, you know, I don't, I don't make those fucking. Um, there's a lot of people out there that pretend that they're fucking hard. I'm not one of them. You know, fucking snowflake. Um, but, but just just going back to what we were saying though, yes, there is some very very hardcore stories that we know that most people in our world know but how well does that 
translate to this documentary, how much of that is being brought to light, how many of those individuals are not apt to give testimony or statements or whatever. So who knows? I'm optimistic, man. I'm all, trying, all, I'm suggesting is that, all I'm suggesting is there's a, as you well know, there's a fuck ton of stories behind the scenes that oh, yeah. they don't know about at the moment. And there's a lot of money that's tied up from various places that, that finance yes. some of these operations. So, you know, if, um, if people were really to, to, to get into the nitty gritty on it, you know, there's potentially that they would uncover some fucking pretty nasty things. You know what? What is it? A two billion dollar a year industry is a wildlife industry. You know, I thought it was we're not talking yeah. fucking peanuts. It's true. It's true. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so so people take up and note, sit up and take notice. You look at smuggle wildlife smuggling as a as a an entity. You know, you've got people smuggling, drug smuggling, and animal smuggling. Drug smuggling and people smuggling that are that shows serious jail time, animal, animal smuggling, fucking slap on the wrist. Yeah. The problem is, is that at least in the case of North America, most of the animal smuggling, the animals weren't what they were trying to smuggle. The animals were the rouge for the drugs. The mule. The mule, yeah. The suitcase. You know, and so I suppose that's my point, right? So, uh, you know, you've only got to make the illusion that, you know, we're, we're stuffing green iguanas full of fucking coke and sending them over to <laughs> sending them over to a to a place that they they decide to call and go hey this, you know the the reptile trade is is doing this yeah you know, the, the whole thing in Tiger King that was there was a lot of bullshit in that that wasn't all true yeah and yeah. I do agree yeah. with we all, Phil we, all we heard bits and pieces and shit so what was that for I like I do agree with Phil in that aspect of of it's kind of hard to top the the tiger king thing because it was just the a outlandish storm. yeah it was just yeah. a perfect storm of just absurdity and so maybe whatever this is that they're going to release eventually who knows when it will be i would hope a very much watered down version of that but or it's the exact opposite it's the fucking hold my beer i'll fucking do it better you know mm. that's that's the part that worries me is that they turn around and go nah fuck it you know and they and reptile people bullshit too, you know. <laughs> like it is, it's true. <laughs> that is true. Um, they they like to they like to stage things, I suppose. I'm I'm you know, the whole premise of fucking Tiger King was a stage in the first place, wasn't it? You know. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I don't, I don't expect know. I, I, greatness. I don't expect it to be sort of Phil's view on it, but I'm hoping. I'm hopeful that that's yeah. that's what happens. But who? Oh look, I think it'll be. A, I don't think it'll do well at all, but I think it will happen. And I don't think it's going to. Do, I don't matter. Doesn't matter how good it is, so to speak, in inverted commas. Um, it's not going to be good for the reptile hobby at all. That I can't, I I can't see. Yeah. I can't yeah. see it being a benefit. It doesn't matter how how good or bad it is. I can't see it being a benefit. Yeah, that's that's um, that's that's unanimous in this group. Yeah. Um, but I, I suppose the other thing is too. You know. We, you know, we sort of come around in a long way around to it to, to YouTube venomous stuff. And it's funny, you know, people talk about free handling and is free handling a bad thing to do in front of other people? It's not professional. Um, if you want to be a professional, you don't free handle. It's as simple as that. Not on, not on film. Yeah. Um, but 
unfortunately, it seems that a lot of these people are young and they want to, you know, they, they have these stupid fucking disclaimers at the start of the video saying, I'm a trained professional. Well, fucking next thing you do, you're free handling a fucking cobra. I'm a trained professional. You're a trained fucking idiot. Um, master's degree. <laughs> yeah, master's degree in bullshit. Um, if you were a trained professional, you'd be using a fucking hook. Okay, it's fucking that simple. Um, but hooks don't don't get translated to views on fucking YouTube. So we don't want to use hooks. We want to make it risky and we want to put a fucking a baby in Solaris on our nub of our fucking finger. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and look, the, the sad part is, is that these people, I'm sure, have got a real genuine love for reptiles and amphibians. And they would love to work properly with reptiles and amphibians. And they probably could. But at the end of the day, they're selling themselves out to, to, to make a few dollars. And they're probably making some really serious fucking money. And they're getting to play with the animals they love. And that's fucking awesome. But they're selling themselves out in the process. And they're selling out the hobby that they fucking so-called love to. And that's, yeah. that's the, the dumbest thing is they're, you know, they, they claim, you know, this doesn't affect the hobby. You know, this whatever I'm doing has zero effect on on everything else, and that's just not true because the general public just lumps it all together. And I've mentioned previously, like this is a hard hobby, you know, dare I say, passion to justify to people. Incredibly hard because people aren't going to get it. Like we're keeping snakes in boxes. And people are going to, it's just never going to click. It's not going to make sense to them unless they have some sort of, you know, infatuation with, with pets and animals in general. You know, it's just, it's very hard for us to say, you know, we do this. And then when they ask why, it's like, well, I mean, I like it. Like that's, and that should be just the end of the conversation. It's like, it's just what I like to do. Like that's, that's it. It's just what I'm into. Right. You know, some people are into building model trains. Some people are into keeping every species of, crotalus they can find you know but because it is what it is and because those animals have carried a, a stigma for as long as you know our species has been walking the planet and it's it's very hard for it to make sense to other people and so it's automatically sort of doctor point and so i, I suppose i suppose the way i look at it, it's like this is that we all used to have sideshows yeah and in the sideshows we had fucking you know, the bearded woman and the three-legged fucking man and, and this, that, and the other. It was a fucking freak show. That's what it was, you know. Right. And then you had the, the the snake handlers, you know, and they they used to peddle their, their snake bite cures, which were all fucking bullshit anyway. They weren't, they weren't real. And they'd stand there and they'd get smacked by a fucking rattlesnake or a copperhead or a fucking tiger snake over here or whatever. And because they got bitten so frequently, they'd actually generated a, a form of immunity to the venom. And so they go here and they, they get a fucking rattlesnake and they get it biting them on the fucking hand and nothing would happen. And they'd be at the next fucking show and, you know, they've still got all their fingers and toes and all the rest of the bullshit. Right? And they do things like fucking put rattlesnakes on their chest, sit in a bath full of rattlesnakes and all the rest of it. And no one used to give a shit because at the end of the day, you can't take them seriously because it's a fucking sideshow. Well, guess what? Sideshows are fucking gone. COVID fixed that. That's what YouTube is. YouTube is a fucking sideshow, are we? Right? It's they are getting money. They are getting money from this by views. 
That's mm-hmm. how they get their fucking money. So they don't need to um, stand up anymore and, and try and sell themselves. They only need to sell themselves better than the next person on YouTube because those ads that are on their, sh- on their channels are the ones that are making them the money. So, yeah, they've got to go bigger and crazier every time, whether it be I'm going to get stung by fucking wasps and spiders and fucking everything else under the sun. He's getting bitten by all that shit because at the end it's of the day... Or education, Scott. Oh, yeah, sorry. That's educational. That's right. I keep forgetting. Because <laughs> you can't just ask the person that accidentally got stung by it. Hey, did it hurt? And they go, yep, cool. There you have it, folks. Yeah. yeah <laughs> getting sucks. stung by a giant wasp hurts. Who knew? Like, <laughs> You're the tip getting bitten by venomous snakes. Ain't a fucking no fucking fun either. I can tell you that. Fucking sucks. You know? Um, but... <sighs> You don't sell yourself on your mistakes. Every time I see someone get a bite from something or anything like that, that's a fuck up. It's not. It's not because they were doing the right thing. If you do the right thing, you don't get fucking bitten in the first place. Um, so for me, it's a bit of a hard thing. But you know, you know, I, I think that's what's going to happen. One of these guys. I mean, you. Who's that fuck with? Um, uh, Eric Farr. Oh God. You know? <laughs> Smack by that fucking side <laughs> on. And then he tells people, and like, I remember, I'm trying to think who he lectured one day. I reckon he lectured uh, Kristen Wiley, or now I'm not sure if it's Kristen or Jim or whatever, and he was telling them about, you know, don't don't play with these things because it's a fucking, and I'm sitting there just thinking, oh, for fuck's sake, man, you've got to know who you're talking to. That's all right, though. And he, he's done that a few times, but he still brings that up. Oh, yeah, I was the dickhead who got bitten by a rattlesnake. Yeah. Yeah, you were the dickhead who got bitten by a rattlesnake and your wife left you because you're a fucked up. You know? um, there's just, there's... He obviously still enjoys it because he still brings it up. Well, it's like the, those guys, they, they wear it as a badge of honor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and that's the problem is that you have so many people that instead of it being like, yeah, man, I, I got bit, you know, and shaking their head, it's, yeah, man, I got bit. Yeah. And it's like, fuck, that's not the way it needs to be shown that's not the way to think it's not a badge of honor it's it's a fuck up end of story so i had two mates that have been smacked by fucking taipans in the last oh, in the last couple of months right nothing ever made the paper yeah, yeah. i'm not talking about i'm not talking about that that other guy that that you know went a bit viral um yeah there's, there's two yeah. other taipan boys to that um, and nobody sort of knows anything about those because at the end of the day, they kept their fucking mouth shut. Right, right. They go to the media, they don't talk about it because it's a fucking mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and, and the media is chomping at the bit to get that stuff because, you know, fear sells. Fear you know, and panic. Fear and panic. And I had a, a friend that was bit by a rattlesnake, uh, a legitimate field herping in Florida, native animal, and he's in the hospital and he's all loopy on medication. It was even before they gave him the antivenin and the press lady is in there and the hospital has their own press person that's paid. They have a a podium with a laptop and a printer and contracts at the ready on a a wheelie podium, a movable podium. And they go from room to room to room. And this woman walked that podium in and she's like, um, hey, so we're, we're, you know, I'm the media representative, blah, 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 And I basically was like, hey, buddy, 
do I have permission to kick her out of this room? He's like, I don't care. You do whatever you want, man. I'm just happy you're with me here. You know, like he's all loopy. And I basically forcibly removed that woman from that hospital room because that doesn't need to happen. Yeah. What difference you know? does it make? Like if and he had she, broken his leg right. or something, you wouldn't exactly. be and she, it. And, yeah. and they're, they were baiting him like, hey, so so did you do this? Did, did you do that? Were you playing with it? You know, did you did you get any photos of you playing with it? Well, I wasn't playing with it. Yeah, but did you get photos of you playing with it? Well, like they twist the words, you know, it's fucked up. Wow. Um, what was it? A Cambridge or Eastern? Uh, it was a, uh, it was a Eastern. Oof. Yeah, baby, little, so, little tiny baby, only only got a handful of vials. So you think back now, right? And we go back to this this bite at the Riverland Zoo. Um, no, I'm sorry, not the bite at the zoo that the the yeah. private person that was bitten and the Riverland Zoo graciously provided some of their antivenom to to help the guy. Um, I'm not making any comments about whether or not you know the. You know, from for all intents and purposes, it sounds like the guy was a responsible keeper. He applied first aid, etc., etc., etc. It sounds like you know you read the article, and the article looks like a fucking media piece up. Um, the problem is, is it's the Peters and the uh, American fucking was it American Humane Society? Humane Society. That's yeah. what I was thinking of. You know, they those ones are the HSUS. They're going to be sitting there just going chopping at the big gun. Fucking another another nail in the venomous coffin, boys. We're giving and, them the ammo. Like, we're literally just handing it to them. Like, here you go. Load it up. Yeah, and then, you know, we, look, and we do this continually. Absolutely fucking continually. So here in Australia, we we obviously have our news channels and all the rest of it. And fucking news last night, Jay Brewer came on the fucking news last night because they showed a short of him trying to pull Retic uh, pull eggs out of off oh, a fucking retic and all that. You sit there and just go, you fucksty. He, I'm yeah. sure he loved it. I'm sure he ate oh, every minute 100%. of it. I'm sure he loved it, but it just looks so bad. You know, we've got people like them and Barcheck. Yeah, you know, he's a muppet, absolute fucking idiot. And you know, he puts clickbait fucking titles up. These are the people that have what is, what is, he has three million subscribers or something like that. He could affect some decent fucking change. Yeah. But fuck the other. Why would I? Why would I want to have decent change when I can just cause more and fucking implode, implode the hobby more, and then I'm going to set up my own reptile fucking zoo. <laughs> and that's the biggest, the, the, the most frustrating part for me with that is like they have the potential to do a lot. And do right by everyone else in, in this community. You know, but they, they make a choice not to. You can sit there and tell me that it's educational and you can spit out facts about, you know, a, a Bushmaster, Rattlesnake, or Cobra while you're holding it in your hand. But I guarantee you 98% of the people watching that aren't listening to anything you're saying. They're just watching what you're doing. They're so just hoping it fucking botch That whole educational so message thing is bullshit because what's the point? Like, what about yeah. you ha handling these things it helps push that, that education further. And it doesn't, you can sit there and tell people, Oh, it's so pretty. It's so beautiful. It's like, okay, well, uh, what's that? There's a, someone does a YouTube channel. It's the European dude. And he does like awesome cinematography of, of like African. Is that, species and Asian is that the touristic channel? 
I think oh, sorry, you're thinking of um the ecology, living zoology. Living yeah, zoology. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that guy's channel is awesome. Um, and that's I mean, that's more of the stuff oh, I want to see. Like he had video of of uh, you know Atheris nishii and like their natural habitat climbing up you know that montane moss covered vein or uh, vine, and it was it was awesome. Like that's the kind of stuff I want to see. That's and sometimes he, he did a, I'll have to send you the link. He did a um. He did an awesome video of um, uh, convergent evolution with Atheris Nishio and then going looking at Bothericus orifer mm-hmm. and and stuff like that and going, hey, look, this is what they're doing. It's like, fuck me, you know? Um, You're not talking about incredible. Tom Carlton, are you? Mm. No, no, no. Um, okay. His name is... M-A-D-E-J, I think, or something like that, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose, you know, I, I did this stupid video as a bit of a laugh, right? Of um, and I put a like a semi clickbaity title to it on on the YouTube channel that I've got, and that I do with Ty, and it and it was bullshit, right? I was like working with the most venomous snake in the world, right? So it's a fucking photo of a, a video of me cleaning out a fucking inland Taipan enclosure. It's got 400 views. You know why it's got 400 views? Because I hooked the snake up, I put the fucking snake in the box, I closed the lid, clean the fucking cage out, I put the snake back in, and that's it. That's the end of it. Yeah. No fucking around because it's a venomous snake. You don't fuck around with venomous snakes. Right, right. And it's got no views, because, and it, it never will have views, and I, I, I don't care. I'm not, it's not, that's not what it's about. I put it up basically as a, okay, here's, Here's how to do it semi-properly, I suppose. In my eyes, it's a proper way of doing it. Um, there is risk to it. There's always risk. There's risk to everything, but the risk is mitigated all the way throughout. And I'm talking about how I do it. It's not not the greatest video quality and all the rest of it, but it's something that shows responsible venomous keeping. And responsible venomous keeping, unfortunately, isn't flashy. It's not sexy. And because it's not flashy... And it's not sexy. Yeah, maybe I should get Ty to do the fucking video. Should we? Um, <laughs> should we? <laughs> She's a hell of a lot more sexier than I am, that's for sure. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, though, it's just, it's not, it's not an exciting thing to do if it's done right. And, um, you know, that's actually something I've been curious to test out is to shoot a video, but have a very clickbaity title, a very clickbaity thumbnail and see how that compares to the other videos I've put out that don't have that. Like the content of the video will, will more or less be the same as the other videos, but just change that thumbnail and just see how much of a, an effect that has on those compared to like videos like yours, where it's like, yeah, you know, a couple of hundred people watched it and it just wasn't, wasn't crazy enough. Wasn't, you know, wasn't uh, sensationalized enough. Yeah. I don't know. We've, you know, we've got, they know none of our stuff goes viral or anything like that. So that that doesn't, you know, we're not trying to do do that side of things. We're just we thought it'd be interesting as an interesting experiment to put up a an actual working with venomous snakes video as opposed to the sort of shit that you see up on on those other channels. And yeah, it's fucking it's pretty fucking obvious where it comes to. Uh, yeah. Um. And in some ways, it's a bit sad. Yeah, 
I mean, and that, that's why I started the, the Venomous Etiquette videos. And I've only got one video up so far. But the response that I've got from the videos is literally what I was trying to achieve. I wasn't trying to get rich and famous off of viral videos and look at me. I'm a snake handler on YouTube. It was to show proper technique, proper safety protocols and aspects. And the people that want to learn that, they genuinely want to learn that, they're the ones who are going to watch it. So if it's only five people that those five people actually cared and wanted to know that stuff, well, then rock and roll. If it's 500, even better. But it's that's not the point. The point was yeah. to put out appropriate content for people that really want to learn the safety protocol, the safety aspects of it. And so far, the response I've been getting is is really great, you know? Yeah. It's been really great, but you've had 361 views. Yeah. Right. I, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not fucking shortchanging you at all. No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm a huge, I'm a huge proponent. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, a huge I'm, I'm, I'm a huge proponent for it. But it's had 360 views. How many does fucking Chandler or fucking Tyler or whatever get in a minute? They're probably getting 360 views in a fucking minute when they put a new video out. Pro probably um, more. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. insane. And so here's a video that actually talks about how to enter a room properly versus I've just got a new Insularis or whatever the fucking bullshit yeah. it is. You know? yeah. There's yeah. no substance to it. True. And, and for me, it's very sad. We can bitch about it as much as we like. It doesn't fucking change. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, well, but until I such... wanted to ask you was how do we combat that? Like how do how do we fix it? What's the what's Scott Iper's idyllic world ah. solution? Mate, I, I don't have one. If you could snap your fingers and make something change about it right now, would it? What, like, what would? Honestly, if I could change something, the first thing I would change is a risk-based approach to legislation. That would be the thing that I'd like to change. That would be the thing that I think would be the best way to to go forward with it. Is actually put the risk in in real terms, because at the moment. Elaborate. It's all passion. Well, it's all passion. You've got, you know, who's who's pushing for legislative changes? The HSUS and it's the Peters. They're the mm -hmm. ones that are pushing and lobbying the the, the the places, and they're going down the child endangerment laws, and they're using our own videos against us. And I say our own, as in the the, the reptile community. Mm -hmm. And and whether you like it or not, you know, Barcheck, Tyler, and Chandler, and Jay Barua and, and all of those guys, they're all part of the, the reptile community. Um, I think they all turn around and say that they're trained experts in some way, shape or form on their videos too. It's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's really, really sad. Um, and then you compare that to something like the Venom interviews that was done by Ray Morgan, mm -hmm. which is fucking amazing. It's brilliant. That would be what I'd like to do is I'd like to put them in front of the Venom interviews and watch the actual Venom interviews from start to finish. Because if you put the Venom interview, if you watch the Venom interviews from the start to finish and you look at it with open eyes, you'll see that the Venomous community, the proper Venomous community, are a group of professionals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're not, an, and none of us are anti private keeping. You know, you, you, you watch the Venomous interviews, you see who's on that. They're not anti private keeping. They're not yeah. anti-private keeping as long as it's done the right way, but they're anti-fuckwits. Right. And 
it'd be lovely if I could, if I could, you know, I suppose you say wave the magic fucking snake stick, wave the magic snake <laughs> stick, and we celebrate the people that do well for the hobby, and we shun the ones that don't. Don't reward the fuckwits, you know. Don't 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 feed the fucktards. Don't don't feed the trolls. What are you gonna? Fuck? And I, th I think we fell into this position of where we're at now with that as as those people being, like it or not, representatives for this industry or hobby or community or whatever you want to call it. Because originally it was, you know, they didn't have a big following. And so I was like, yeah, whatever, he's doing stupid stuff. And then it gained momentum and gained momentum and gained momentum. And now here you are several years later and they kind of just become the default. You know, everyone was like, yeah, you know, whatever. He's doing stupid stuff on YouTube. Cool, whatever. And then, you know, it's like you blink and all of a sudden they have millions of subscribers. And Well, that uh, also, I feel like that also falls into what they call the Howard Stern philosophy, where so many people followed and watched and paid to listen to Howard Stern that the majority of his constituents and fan base hated him they absolutely hated him they hated him with a passion but they still paid and and chose to listen to him because they had to hear the, the shock and all the shock and all they had to hear it and they 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 subconsciously fueled it because they were listening even though they despised him and i feel like there's a lot of that too how many how many herpers that are not into the the shock and all clickbait are following these individuals or following this style of video because they're like, Oh, I got to see what this asshole did now, mm -hmm. you know? And it's, it's, it's part of a, a mindset or a mantra. That's very, very difficult. if not impossible to change. So I, I suppose, you know, I, I've got, I just typed in, I typed on YouTube on the other side. I just typed in Tyler Nolan into search. So Tyler has 358,000 subscribers. In two days, he's got 77,000 views saying, will all my snakes die? Paramyxovirus scare. You know? What the fuck? <laughs> you know, you've got people fucking sitting inside your snake room. You bring animals in. Yeah, you might have a quarantine issue because you don't quarantine, you fuck. You know, like... And then you go down and you follow that down there and then, you know, six days ago, Clint's Reptiles, Monocle Cobra, best pet snake. I handle a cobra. What the fuck? We're, we're not doing ourselves any fucking favors. Um, yeah, what are you doing? People being aware that these are the ones who, who are flying our flag. And yeah. they, got, they got there by default because I don't think any, you know, anyone serious in the hobby, you know, that, that does it on a professional, semi-professional level, whatever you want to call it, would they would not be any of their their first round draft picks for that? Yeah, but we don't have a choice, do we? They've, nope. they've made it themselves because they've they've they're they're good communicators, you know. <laughs> for for whatever it is, I I don't know what it is, you know. It's um, uh, uh, it's fucking it's fucking sad, but you know. Oh well, what do you do? Talk about snakes. Snakes are more interesting than talking about fuckwits. Yeah. We just uh, keep trying to be positive and try and show 
the the better aspect, the better venue of it, try and educate people best we can and keep doing the good things that we're doing. That's it. So. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's probably the way to do it, the way to be. And, and look, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm sure you know these guys are, are lovely people, and they're probably very passionate reptile keepers as well. Yeah, um, I, I can. I, I just can don't. I don't think they that they understand. I just don't think they realise just how much damage they are potentially doing. I think and, some of them do. I think they just don't care. I hope that's not the case. I like to hope that's not the case. But yeah, maybe it's just a. Rose-colored glasses, glasses view though too, Justin. You know, like I, I hope it's. I genuinely hope it's not the case. But you know, you're probably right. I probably just don't give a shit. Yeah, I know. I know. I know too many people. Uh, let me rephrase it. I'm friends with too many people that partake in that style of video or education, whatever the hell you want to call it. And they are genuinely, they are genuinely passionate about the animals, but they also genuinely feel like they're not doing what we see them doing in terms of the people's eyes. They really yeah, don't, they, right. They really, they do not think that their videos, no matter how many views they may have or likes they may have, they genuinely do not think it's going to make an impact legislation wise. They don't. So time will tell and we'll see what happens. But all I know is that somebody needs to get on them Anchanthophis and describe them suckers properly. <laughs> and we need night tigers. Yes. Yes. Uh, somehow. Yeah. Night tigers and night snakes. They are night snakes. Um, you know, they're, they're, a, uh, they're, they're a very pretty snake, I suppose. That's what, what it comes down to. Um, I don't know. I, I'm surprised they're not being kept over in the US. I suppose they're probably. Uh, oh, can you yeah, keep them I mean, over there? Uh, no, I think like with Guam and everything, they've become sort of this boogeyman species to the, you know, the U S government where they're under the impression that if they get a foothold anywhere here in the States that they'll just take over. And they are very effective at taking over. If you look at what they've done in Guam. So, yeah, um, you know, a little bit different over there too. You know, you didn't have snakes over there. Mm -hmm. uh, prior to them coming and so the birds and stuff like that didn't have um uh ecological strategies to to combat uh, snake predators right so you know they they nested in, in places that snakes get to them and that's why the snakes have decimated them um they banned but, them in florida recently which i thought was odd because like you never see anybody has them like you don't see anybody selling them you don't see anybody keeping them so i don't maybe there are and people just like there's more people doing it that that than maybe we realize but i just found it funny they banned them in florida but at the same time they they would be very they would do very well in south florida especially in phil's neck of the woods Oh, I think that they would be an amazing animal to keep. Um, you could probably keep them outside, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, they do so well in captivity. They're really easy to keep, and they're a beautiful snake to keep. Um, they can be a little bit problematic getting them started. Um, the babies are very, very small. They're very, very skinny. Mm -hmm. I've got Nothing. my second collection of cyania hatching right now. I have oh, one make I it out. All that. Oh, it is that. unbelievable how tiny they are, but they're super long. And so you wondered just how the hell they like just 
I mean, when I bred Cressets, it was the same way. It's like, how the hell does that fit in that egg? And yeah, really so, packed in there. It's crazy. But I, I think too, brown tree snakes are probably a species complex as well. There's there's more than one. Um, there's more than one out there. That's for sure. They, uh, well, they split them not that long ago, so all the ones um, that are basically an Indo, like there's a a certain half a circle between like Australasia. Yeah, you're thinking, and Asia, you're thinking of Wallace Wallace and, and, and the uh, yeah, and so basically the ones that are on the left side of that are Flavicens. Uh, and then everything to the right of that is irregularis. Yeah, but I don't think they sequence animals from Australia. Oh yeah, I mean, so I think the if if it would not surprise me one bit if the Australian like the night tigers were uh, were a separate thing. Because I reckon there's three of them in Australia. Mm -hmm. I think there's three different ones. Um, you've got the night tiger. You've got the northeast Queensland ones, which are the ones that um, that the same animals that are on Guam. And then you've got these eastern seaboard southern animals, um, and and they are a they are a pretty amazing, pretty amazing snake, and they they just happen to be local to me. Uh, <laughs> nice. I've just I've just put photos of the three different ones in oh, the chat. Yeah. So you got a a night tiger at the top there, a northeast Queensland job, and then a southeast Queensland job. So. Um, no, oh, that last picture is cool. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a bad photo. That one, I'm pretty happy about that one. Uh, um, that last one almost looks like a like a a Bodum's. So uh, another, another species in Asia that looks very like an in India, one of the Indian species that looks very similar to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, they, they that one's a little bit more yellowish than the than they usually are, but um, you know, they're sort of more coppery uh most of the ones but um they're a beautiful snake they really are a beautiful snake um uh, i um i've always had a soft spot for brown trees they i can make me itch like a bastard if i get bitten by them so i'm pretty careful around them after my my venomous allergies so um i try not to to get fanged by anything these days i treat them all all with the, the respect that they deserve, regardless of whether it's a, a mildly venomous rear fang or, or not. So, um, but you know, it is what it is. Um, I find that the we and most of our colubrids over here they're not they're not rodent feeders, and I think that's why most of the the colubrids over here are not um, not kept as as uh, more commonly as they probably would be because the, the babies in particular are, are very uh, are very lizard or frog orientated. Um, and so, you know, because the, the feeding of lizards and frogs, because the lizards and frogs are protected like the snakes are, you can't, you can't go and collect them and feed them. Or mm -hmm. them. Um, so it's a matter of trying to figure out ways, whether you're force feeding or force feeding, mouse parts or tails or something like that to try and get them established. Um doing that at the moment with a whole heap of fucking baby lapids, which fucking sucks ass. What's That's that? A uh, easier with. It's a good Billy, problem to have. You remember that? What's that one species that Jake Hansen's focused on a lot? I'm scrolling right now to see. Oh, broadheads. Oh, Those yeah. are cool as hell. Yeah. He's got, uh, he's got, I think, Two species of broadheads, 
I can't for the life of me remember which which ones. I, don't I reckon he's got pale heads. I think he's got pale yeah, heads and he's, Yeah, he's, he's got pale heads, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's the, the well, last pictures he sent. Yeah. I've been trying to get oh, him to write an article because his like he does really good photography too. And I told him, I was like, dude, you get me an article about like the stuff you find out in your neck of the woods. Like I'll totally make that a, a feature with the cover and everything because oh, yeah, those of pictures are just so damn good. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and he's great because yeah. uh, he's very, he has, he has children and he's very big on bringing his kids out herping with him. And obviously he doesn't go as extreme because he's got the little munchkins with him. But like he sent me a video of his, one of his youngest holding a, a, an underwatersaurus. And you can tell that the kid has been taught how to hold it correctly and how, you know, don't squeeze, don't pull its tail, blah, blah, blah. And watching this child interact with this gecko is it's awesome. It's I want to see more of it. You know, it's great. Yeah, I mean they're they're awesome animals. That's for sure. Um, I I like hops. Hops are hops are good value. Um, the you know, I suppose for me they're just cantankerous little things that that want to bite. Um, and because they're cantankerous and they want to bite, they don't really do that much for me. I'm like, yeah, we don't, we don't sort of work with them. Um, we've, we've seen them. I've seen all of them in the scrub multiple times. Um, and they're cool animals to see. Um, but, you know, so I suppose it's like everything. You, you sort of get used to certain things that you like more than others. And, you know, for me, I like uh, Shudekas is my main thing. And, Judecus and Taipans are the more two, more two uh, things that I like the most. Uh, your, your, your go-to species. A hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like all. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. No. I was going to ask, like, what what's the what species is most common for people getting bit over there like which one's the the number one in terms of just numbers um look capers is probably shadekas um serious snake bites in australia um it would be probably tiger snakes in victoria brown snakes in new south wales um or red bellies and same thing in queensland um so they're the, they're the main ones. It's tigers, browns, black snakes are your, your three most commonly dangerously venomous snake bites. Um, from captivity point of view, you know, there's a lot of bites from Shidekas, a lot of bites from um, uh, from death adders. There's a lot of bites from tiger snakes, and, and which which you know, I think is from, it's crazy because like I could see some people getting overly comfortable with some of the Sudeca species, but like. How do you get bit by a death adder, man? Like, like not using a hook. I, I know. It just like it's just mind-boggling to me. Like, it's not gonna. Yeah, they just put their fucking hand in, mate, and just grab the water bottle. Misjudging yeah. their ability to levitate. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Oof. And pinning. The amount of fucking times that people get bitten, fucking pinning and head holding and shit like that. Yeah, that is that is something I've noticed from the few individuals that I watch that are in your neck of the woods scott they're obviously it's illegal because you're not allowed to touch anything but there's an awful lot of 
of field pinning. And it's got to be for the camera. It's got to be. Yeah, people like fucking grab a chip by the head because they yeah. open their mouth and they fucking make a big deal. You know, not not everyone does it. Um, and, and look, if you know what you're doing, it's relatively safe. Um, but at the same time, oh, like I, I don't like picking snakes up by the head if I don't have to. Of course, of course. Let me ask you this, um, just to kind of switch topics. Um, of the people that you know that have been bit by deathies, I heard a long time ago, back when I was keeping those New Guineas, um, basically they, somebody warned me, uh, an individual who is no longer with us, who was a, a snake keeper, uh, an older gentleman, he told me when I first got him, he says, be real careful because I know a lot of people that got dry bites, and he says that if you ever get bit and you don't feel any pain, it's a dry bite because death adder is the most excruciating pain of any snake out there. How true is that? Been bitten by death adders more than more than one occasion. I've been envenomated more than one occasion by them, and no, nah, not that bad. Interesting. Very. Well, interesting. I didn't, I didn't find was, it that bad. There was one that Fry got bit by. I thought, and he talked about it in his book about just this very bizarre, lucid dream. He was more or less, I think, in a coma. Okay. Yeah, look, I don't remember which species it was. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, Brian Brian talks about getting smacked by a natter and. I think he's so. Um, there may have been other things at play there, though, too. So you never know. Yeah, that dude's had so many issues over the years. Um, you know, it's you, you never quite know how how venom reacts with one person and another. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Uh, right. I think it's in that autobiography he wrote, but he just talks about how he, he it was like this odd, like lucid dream. But he said how it felt like he was in it for like eons. And it only ended up being, I think, a couple of days. But he just talked about it in a lot of a lot of detail. I just thought it was really interesting because I've never heard of that happening with anything else. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. But I mean, as I said, Venom. I don't know anyone. I know a lot of people who've been bitten by adders. I don't know anyone that's described them as being as a euphoric bite, put it that way. And I don't know anyone that's really said that it was super bad pain either. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, look, it can hurt, but it's not. Um, it could also too. You know, there's a lot of variation in the in the the venoms. You know, a lot of other snakes. There's no reason why there wouldn't be variation in the venom of acanthophis as well. So. Um, True. So you never quite know, you know, the injection site makes a difference. The um, potentially the species, potentially the the locality, all of those things may have a yeah have a I, reaction. I am opposed to IV, opposed to sub Q, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is there one um, species in particular with the death adders that's that's considerably more toxic than some of the other ones? Oh, I think it comes back to the taxonomic issues with, with death adders as well. Okay. To make it, makes it a little bit unclear as to whose who's venom is being provided for what what purpose. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was thought that no death adders were myotoxic at one point in time, and yet, you know, they, they go back and they look at the venom in uh, Hawkeye, and Hawkeye causes myotoxicity, so um, in, certainly in some locations. So... That's probably a point that there is some snakes that 
may not have had uh, sufficient testing in regards to the venom to be able to make a a reasonable comment as to um, uh, as to, to what toxins are in what particular species. You know, I think it's probably the same thing in a lot of cradler species as well. You know, yeah. you've got, you know, generally speaking, a lot of people refer to rattlesnakes as being cytotoxic and hematoxic and you know, potentially myotoxic. And then you've got these other populations that have these incredibly uh, virulent postsynaptic neurotoxins in them mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, it seems to be like a general rule that a lot of the South American species have got uh, fairly strong neurotoxins in them as well. Yeah, oh yeah. Do we know that? Do we know that that's the case for, say, all the Mexican species that have got a that are partially related to some of those other species of rattlesnake? Um, I don't know. Yeah, there was a know. paper. There was a paper a few years back, basically dissecting the grandest venom as being primarily neuro uh, simply because of the island, the high altitude island populations, whatever the prey item was, they wanted it to stop in its tracks real quick. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were, they were more apt to strike and release and not want to travel as far to retrieve the prey item. So like mo- a lot of people that have, that have been bit by the grandis talk about no pain and then 20, 30 minutes later, they start to shut down. So, uh, neurotoxic bites are fucking scary. I'll give you the tip. It's, yeah. not, it's not a fun thing to go through. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a friend that got bit by Caliophis, and, you know, everyone told him, oh, it's neurotoxin. It's not going to hurt. And it was the most excruciating, agonizing pain of his entire life. And, you know, there was no antivenin and he was not given any antivenin and they gave him straight dilaudid and it did nothing for the pain, you know, and 48 hours later he was fine. And there's way more to the story, but again, that's just a classic example of, oh, it's neurotoxic. You're not going to feel it. And then it I just... I thought those were the... Was that Bivagata? What's that? Was that Bivagata or was that uh, in Thessalonians? Yeah. yeah. It was, was Bivagata. Yeah. Wow. Yep. They're lit, him like, lit him up like a Christmas tree. Hey, how are Henry's ones going? Didn't Henry uh, get a Kelly? He's he's working on it. He's working on it. He's got he literally I mean this in the most respectful way possible. He literally has men in the bush as we speak. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, that's fucking fantastic. He knows okay. all the Isn't right that- people. He literally Someone's he's telling me in the hour, are they? Nah. The Tyred Ty So the Tyred Cross has some. And from what I gather, the Tyred Cross also had a gravid female that produced a clutch. And unfortunately, either the eggs were infertile or something happened because they went bad real quick. Like the, like there wasn't even enough time for anything to really develop. Um, and I, I'm sure Henry's going to call me after he listens to this and yell at me. You told the story wrong, yeah. but I know as far as I know, the, the Thai Red Cross is really the only legitimate institution working or tra- attempting to work with them. There is some private keepers in Southeast Asia that have them. And hopefully, uh, hopefully Henry will get his hands on some sooner than later. But he, he gets someone in Germany that had someone or something like that. And they were trying to, they're, they're made very well. They, set, they set them up. And I think, I think they're still alive from what I'm hearing. So, yeah. You know. 
He can I mean, he can keep all that, man. That just yeah. that all sounds like so like he he wants crates and stuff too. Like he wants more yeah. crates. I'm like, yeah, you're just a glutton for punishment, man. You like it's finding like, the most pain in the ass group of snakes you could possibly find with King Cobras right there at the top because food is. He's always saying, "Hey, man, you ever get any 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 dead snakes? Let me know. I want them." It's just like that. Just seems like so much trouble to go through for all that but i guess if you're into that and you know you're as passionate especially about king cobras as as henry is and i guess it's worth it but to me it just seems like way more work than it's worth so how long do you reckon it'll be before the hobby starts fucking you know the the new names that are going to come out for the king cobras when they get named oh that's not already there let's not how far off is that Let's not even bring that up, man. That's, a that's sore, the other thing. I can't wait. I can't wait till people start topic. talking about that. Oh God! And like, all right. When I was growing up, there were two forest cobras, inlands and coastals. They were both Melanoluca. One was black and yellow. The other one was brown and black, tartan and black. That was it. And I remember talking to gentlemen who were field collectors in Tanzania, and them physically saying on the telephone. Yeah, if I drive four miles west, I get brown ones. It's actually pretty interesting. <laughs> but this whole King Cobra thing and splitting them up, man, I'm it, it there's you're just I don't know how to phrase this without sounding like a moron. <laughs> there is personal agendas at play. Flat out. I'll just say it like that. I'm not disagreeing, but at some point in time, someone's going to name the fuckers. And then, well, they've, they've already been named. Someone's going to validate the names. Once the names are validated, it'll yeah. be an interesting thing. We were talking about before about people not accepting it. Yeah. The Chinese kings are obviously different to the Malaysians. The Malaysians look different to the Sumatrans, and they both look different to the, the Indians, right? Right. Um, right. And even the West Indians look different to the Eastern Indian animals as well. So there's yeah. some differences going on. Dude, I would absolutely absolutely murder to go to the Western Ghats. So many cool pieces out there. Oh, man. Yeah, and and like, I'm sorry, but there is, as much as I do get annoyed by that whole personal agenda stuff, you know, Henry obviously is obsessed and he he fuels my, my craving for that stuff. And he shows me this stuff of these high altitude kings, a small isolated pocket that's I believe it's it's higher elevation than the Mangshangs, but it's a pine tree forest. So when they make their nest, it's not leaf litter because there is no leaves. They literally make it out of pine needles and it's still mm. impervious to water. So like crazy things like that, I think validate the research to decipher if it is something different and so on and so forth. But man, those personal agendas, they get they get up there, you know? Yeah, well, you know, people have been going to, going to split King Cobras for a long fucking time. So it's, uh, you know, at some point in time, someone's going to do it. Yeah. And this is, I suppose, where it comes to with the to keeping keeping them in captivity, you know. And I've only ever seen, physically seen one, one King Cobra, and that was a, a, Jarvan, a Jarvan animal. And it was a fucking huge snake. It was a big snake. Um, yeah. Now, I was talking to the guys that work with it, and they said, yeah, it can be a fucking handful too. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, 
But at the same time, you know, Johnny Johnny Reptile Keeper, who goes to the Hamburg show and grabs himself three King Cobras and tries putting them together, you never know. You never know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how's that? Uh, are they, are they going to breed that leucistic thing at New England? Do you reckon, or? Oh, they're gonna they're gonna try to if it's still alive. But there's also uh, most people don't know this, but another one was found by another individual who I believe is either friends with the guy who found the first one, or maybe even be the same guy. Um, they found another one, and that guy's yeah. hang, hanging onto it and raising it up a little bit. But I don't want to. I don't like really trash talking, especially on air, but I saw some posts from the individual that found that nerd animal and sold it to nerd. And you can see, you can read in the poor translation into English, the, the disheartening feeling that that individual, that, that guy must have because he raised that thing up and got it beautiful and healthy. And it just didn't, it's just not working out. And I mean, obviously he may not regret it because I'm sure the, the price that he was paid fueled his entire village for a long time, but it's it's a sad fact. But there is another one out there now. For according to Henry, it's, it's that area that that's found, the, the second one was found in that same general region, and apparently it has a track history of, of Lucy's popping up in it. Yeah. And then uh, the actual the, the guy that produced my purple maculatus over in Sumatra, um, he uh, he just recently found. And that, the question is, we don't know if he found it a long time ago and it transitioned into being some kind of calico, but a calico retic. I, I put it in the group chat earlier. So it's interesting if that area is. I don't want to say indicative of having white animals, you know, but who knows. And who knows how long they were held on to or if they were really bred in captivity and, you know, keeping it quiet. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it looks a beautiful snake. I mean, it's, it'd be a, an interesting animal, but I, I think that some snakes um, do well in captivity and I think some snakes don't do so well in captivity. And I think that, you know, the, the you know we speak about the there's a – it's like a three-way a three-way thing with regards to, to reptile keeping, and it, and it basically goes this, and this this works almost for just about every every animal. Is that you have the experience of the reptile keeper, you have the ability of the reptile keeper, and you have the financial considerations of that reptile keeper. True, right? very true. Now, as long as you can manage those three things, you can keep that animal successfully. Absolutely. Right. It's as simple as that. Right? They're yeah. the only three things. But not everybody has the experience. And if you don't have the experience, it doesn't matter how much money you put into it. it doesn't matter how, how if you've got the best equipment out there, you're not going to do well with it. And just and then, and go, going off of that, not to cut you off, I apologize. Um, we were talking about Henry. Oh, and we're fucking done. I don't want to talk to you again. You can get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just we were just talking about we were talking about Henry and and the Bivergatus. So he is going to get them eventually. Um, he's already started to draw up the plans. Not the not 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 the how do I phrase this? For lack of a better synonym, he's already started to draw up the plans on the enclosure. 
And that's something that a lot of these, a lot of individuals, myself included, you know, we map out, okay, I'm going to have this kind of enclosure. I, I need to prepare for this and prepare for that. Henry's literally making an ecosystem indoors because he's, he knows he's going to be dealing with a species that is incredibly misunderstood and no one really has any true husbandry tactics or ideas or, or research done to it. So he's showing me designs with, with river rock and running water and basically like a small creek going through the enclosure because we're not talking about, you know, a 40-gallon a, a, a tank. We're talking about an entire wall unit for one snake that is considerable size, you know. So you take something like that and he's mapping out stuff and spending good money to make sure that when he does acquire that animal, there's no hiccups. Smooth sailing, yeah. And I suppose that's what I'm saying. You know, it's a classic case of want, abilities, and outlay. You know, at the end of the day, he's outlaying the money and outlaying the time and energy to uh, to invest correctly in this animal. Right. He has the ability to be able to do it because he's, he's already shown that. Right. Uh, so he's got that ability and he's doing the outlay and he wants it. Yeah. Because if he didn't have the ability or he wasn't or he didn't really want it that bad, he's not going to outlay that cost. It's true. And so as a result, that's where, that's where it is. And, you know, it's, you see the same thing with people doing that with Bolands and, and, and things like that. It, it, people, they really want to work with something that's difficult and they've got a real drive for it. They will do well with it if they prepared to put the hard yards in. You just want to fucking throw it in a box and think it's not going to be any different than anything else. You're sadly mistaken. And that's why people have issues with Helmer Harris scrub pythons. That's why they have mm -hmm. issues with, you know, king cobras. That's why they have issues with some of these things that take a little bit more... Attention uh, to detail. Yeah, they need a little bit more, whatever that might be. And if we go back and you sit back to the start you know, you guys go back 20 years about what you're keeping now versus what you're keeping then. The animals that you can keep now and what people keep successfully now in the last 20 years have significantly changed. Oh, people yeah. are doing better with reptiles because they understand how to do things better. And the outlay and the cost has come down. So when I first started keeping reptiles here in Australia, you'd get a thermostat for a... Uh, for an HVAC system, you'd fucking jerry-rig it up to turn the light bulbs on and off in the enclosures that you're keeping the snakes in. You used to keep the snakes on gravel. You didn't use paper. You didn't use fucking, you know, kitty litter or anything like that. You used to keep them on gravel. And so you'd then use shell tox pest strips to get rid of the mite that you'd bring home because you didn't realise. You know, you clean the enclosures out in you would wash the gravel and then you'd bake it in an oven and all the rest of it. This is a huge, long, hydraulic approach to, to keeping reptiles. And some reptiles were okay, but other things you couldn't keep that way. And it wasn't because they're necessarily hard to keep, is that you couldn't keep them in that particular setup. And so the way we were keeping reptiles back then, we needed to change. And I like to think that in a lot of ways we've changed for the better but sometimes people keep reptiles in a, that straight cookie-cutter approach and it's like, well, we're going to put them all in a rack and they're all going to have to do this temperature and they're all going to have a day-night cycle of this and they're all going to do this. Well, animals occupy different niches in the wild for a reason. 
all right? They don't all exploit the same niche. If they all exploited the same niche, we'd keep them exactly the same way, but they'd compete with each other in, in the wild. And therefore, they would the, the species themselves, that, that diversity wouldn't survive. Um, so we, I think as reptile keepers to improve on, on keeping reptiles better, we need to get away from only keeping animals the same way and start looking at what the animals are doing and going, okay, that animal never leaves the heat. Well, if it never leaves the heat, change your heat source, up your heat source. Yeah. 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 That's, you know, if it's always sitting in a water bowl, increase your relative humidity. Mm-hmm. It seems like fucking basic stuff to us. Yeah. Uh, Ian and Phil have talked about on. that, you know, experimenting, not at the detriment of the animal, but, you know, within common sense, you know, tweak things, adjust things, see what works, see what doesn't. And we've talked about species that at one point were incredibly difficult to keep alive. Mandarin rat snakes. We talked about that. Chondros, I think, have come a long way. Um, I mean, there's 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 a long list of species that for many years people were like, those things are horrible captives. But now within the last 20 or so, you know, maybe even 30, we're realizing that that's just not the case. We just weren't giving them what they needed. We, we right. hadn't found that that missing link in a sense as far as husbandry that was the the, the deal breaker yeah well you know oh, yeah. you bring green pythons up and that's a perfect example you know mm-hmm. people have been struggling with green pythons for shit, what, 40 years yeah to, to really keep them well right you know? right um and you know i wonder as some of the issues with keeping green pythons being directly correlated with or the, the lack of success with certain certain groups, is that due to the fact that, you know, people were trying to hybridise them? Mm-hmm. Was the lack of breeding not because you weren't keeping them well, is that your animals are from either mixed blood parentage or you were trying to cross a cross one of the subspecies with another or mm-hmm. one of the species with another, and that's yeah. why you were getting problems. Right. Oh yeah, I I think it was just a case of of they were overthought forever. You know, everyone was like, keep them really wet, keep them really hot. Yeah, it's a a jungle. It's a jungle snake. It needs to be in a tropical jungle. Yeah, I think too it's the same thing when it comes to the the incubation of reptile eggs as well. We, we did a little experiment this year with collet snakes and um, I grabbed a collet snake. You know, we've all heard that story about, you know, if you rotate a box it. Mm-hmm. We tried it this year. <laughs> Literally every four days I turned it a fucking, you imagine a clock, I went from 12 to 2, 2 to 4, 4 to 6, mm-hmm. 6 to 8, every two days and just rotate the egg a little bit. So during the incubation period of 60, 69 days or whatever it was, that egg rotated eight times. Wow. Hatched fine. Wow. Hatched fine. Now, let me ask you this. Is that... Don't ask me why. I don't know why. I I have no answer. (laughs) I think I I personally, when I heard that initially as a, a younger individual, it wasn't so much don't let the eggs roll it was more like if it's been if it's if it's a two-month incubation let's just say at 30 days don't flip it upside down 
don't don't pick it up and look at it and go, oh no, and fumble it and it falls on the yeah. floor and you don't know which side is up because then it's just gonna it's gonna get messed up. But do we really know? Has anyone ever done that? Has anyone ever flipped it completely halfway? So, have you guys ever done um, maternal incubation? No. So sometimes when you maternally incubate, right, not all the eggs adhere in the clutch, right? Right, right. So usually they adhere and you get this lump, but not every time, right? So what will happen is, is the snakes will leave the clutch of eggs and they'll go and have a drink, right? And they'll potentially piss on the eggs to raise the relative humidity where they are or whatever. But if there's an egg and it's off to the side and it's a good egg, it's not an egg that the female's discarded, mm-hmm. They'll just drag that fucking thing back and the egg rolls into back into the clutch. That egg still hatches out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's something I've been super interested in lately is like Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying roll fucking eggs for the sake of it. I'm just no, saying, but yeah, I, I yeah, wanna, yeah. like I'm I'm very curious about uh you know like uh like gas exchange because towards the end of incubation you typically want to ventilate a little more just because they're you know heat and everything like that's building up um i just want to learn more about the overall process and have a better idea of how it's actually working and then there's i want to try um you know like plant clippings in an egg box see if that makes any difference um there's just a lot of stuff I'm, i'm very interested to sort of play around with and see if it makes any any real difference so do you use a medium I do. I use uh, so aquatic, aquatic plant soil. It's uh, it's APS. I don't know if it has like a, a commercial name. It's just it's like aquatic plant soil that people put in ponds, like small little plastic yeah, ponds in their yard. And that, I've I've yep. been using that for a couple of years now and love it. Um, and then those Sistema boxes that you guys all laughed at me about because you guys have been using them forever over there. And to me, it's like a newfound. Yep. Yeah, they're fucking awesome. They're great. They're great yeah, boxes. I love it. I'm staring at three of them right now, and every time I go to Walmart, I end up buying one more just to load up on them because I never know <laughs> how many I'll need. <laughs> Mate, Steve, I reckon we can take up fucking chairs in them. Um, they're perfect for it. They're like the perfect size. They have the seal. Yeah, you can see yeah, right through them. Like they're, they're amazing. They're not. So there's crystal clear ones as well. Yeah, these are like the sort of the translucent. So there's a little bit of a yeah. The tra- the oh, translucent yeah. ones are great because you can drop them and they don't usually shatter. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had them for years and they they last for fucking ages. They, they're great. Um, but there's these crystal clear ones that have come out over here as well, and they I don't know how well they're going to last, but we'll we'll see how they go. Um, but look, we we really like them. But it'd be interesting too. Like the, everyone uses the same temperatures for for things as well with mm-hmm. incubation for the most part. You know, what is it? 30, 30.5? We incubate at twenty eight and a half. Yeah, right. that's uh, well, especially in the chondro world, that seems to constantly be sort of changing. Like people are sort of experimenting with lower temperatures and seeing what happens. You know, kind of moving away from the higher temperatures. Um, these cyania eggs, uh, at the recommendation of. Chris uh, Lugbird, I think is how you pronounce his last name. He does uh, 82 during the day, and then they drop to 78 at night. And yeah, having, okay. having never hatched them before, I was like, okay, and I rolled with it. And it's been both clutches hatched on day 106, like on the dot. So 
So yeah. most people over here incubate at 87, mm -hmm. right? Around 87. So even that seems um, to me. That's what most people do, right? So we do 28.5, which is 83. That's okay. that's roughly where we where, where we're aiming for. Um, mm -hmm. Now, Scott, have you ever? Oh, sorry, go on. No, you're okay. No, I was gonna say, have you ever done? Because obviously, certain species like elapids, for example, they're not good mothers. They they lay their eggs and they leave. Have you ever tried to do egg incubation in the enclosure? I'm thinking about trying it next year. So with a particular female, I've got okay. a particular female type in that she sits on her eggs. Yeah, she's a bitch to get off. So she doesn't mm -hmm. want to fucking leave them. She yeah. protects them. So the reason why I ask is because I'm looking at a couple more species that. So like, all right, ten years ago I had Calisthenesma, and I didn't realize it, but I bred them, and I got eggs. Right. I got a perfect. I got a perfect clutch, and I was like, oh my god, I have viper eggs. Uh, I don't know what to do. And I took those eggs. I took mom out. Mom was literally sitting next to them. She could care less. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if she really could care less or if I just caught her, you know, when she was getting off and getting comfortable before she gets back on. I really don't know. As far as I know, they don't do MI, but I took the eggs out. I put them in vermiculate like I do damn near anything else. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I bookshelved them like gecko eggs and I kept them at like 25, five Celsius and Sure as hell, they every single one hatched out. I didn't candle them. I didn't do nothing. So Henry's actually talking, of course, talking to some fellas overseas, and I'm I might get into some some calisthenesma in the next few months or maybe towards the end of the year. But I really think that because I did so well keeping them at a, a at, at a, a medium, maybe a high room temperature, if you will. Mm. Why can't I just make it? Why can't I just do it in the cage and just see what happens? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot, rat snake, a lot of rat snake guys just put them on the top shelf in their rooms. So that's, you know, upper yeah. 70s, low 80s, and just let them ride. Yeah, because I figure this. Uh, it, it, let's let's say I have a basking spot. She's not going to lay them in the basking spot because she's going to know it's too hot. Uh, so if, if, the, if the opposite side of the cage, if the cool side of the enclosure is the same temperature as the room, how is it any different if I bookshelf it? Or if I just leave them in the enclosure, and assuming that the substrate stays the appropriate. Well, that's amount. what I was saying. That's that'd yeah. be the biggest hurdle, right? Is the, yeah. you know the humidity and right keeping it there. keeping it correct. Yeah. So I got a mate of mine over here. He used to incubate eggs on his floor. Right, lived in North Queensland. He used to get a clutch, and you know, Justin Gillander was over at his place one day, and he goes, "Oh, you know, have you ever bred the?" Those green pythons, and he's, he keeps the green pythons with the white striped in their back. Mm -hmm. And he goes, "Yeah, there's a clutch of eggs just there, and the eggs, the eggs were just sitting on the floor in a, in a system top. And that's how he hatches them out." But but what's apparently the, a fucking blew his mind, you know? The, oh, um, but what's the room at? Was the room at like about twenty seven? The tiles don't get above about twenty seven, twenty eight. So, so 80, 80, 78 yeah. to 80, 83, roughly right. where the eggs are sitting at. So, I, I suppose. You know, Brian Barnett, who's somebody who I've looked up to since I was a young kid, and probably one of the uh, one of the best reptile keepers that the people don't know about. Um, he said to me many years ago, "Scott, snake eggs are designed to hatch." Yeah. You know, stop fucking babying them; mm -hmm. they will hatch. Give them the opportunity to do what they need to do, and 
I suppose, you know, I used to fuck around with vermiculite and then, I, you know, now I've gone over water. Um, since we've gone over water, there's more air exchange around the eggs. It seems they seem to be better. Um, we also tried as well. You know, we've all heard the thing, oh, yeah, you got to mould the egg, you've got to pull it out because otherwise all your eggs get covered in mould. Healthy eggs don't get covered with mould. Eggs that are fucked get covered with mould. I've also that's I've been putting springtails in with mine too to help sort of keep things clean. Oh, interesting. Clean. Okay. I don't, I don't think I want... it's made any real difference, but they're there. So. You know, the one thing that's always wondered me with, with soil and stuff like that is that if you put earthworms in with the substrate because earthworms you know literally they aerate the soil by moving through the soil and all the rest of it and and help maintain the the ph level of the soil and things like that i wonder if that's actually got there's things like that that actually make a difference yeah and um, that's what i've been curious to try is like almost doing literally like, like a bioactive substrate for, for area in an egg box like with a with a pothos clipping or something that does well in lower light and you know springtails maybe isopods i don't i had isopods in the first cyania clutch it was only a couple and they seem to do okay but i know some other people that have tried it with some other species and they kind of they actually ended up chewing on the eggs a little bit but i just used some powder oranges and powder blues and i didn't have any problems so I think it kind of depends on what species you're you're using. But. Well, you could always put in a um a little bit of fucking snake skin or something like that in there if you wanted yeah. to give them something to mung on. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. that's that's really interesting though. I think, and I think that's sort of where the hobby is going too is to to think about other ways of doing things than and try to do them better. Um, you know, I I know a few people that are trying trying to, to incubate reptile eggs without having a substrate at all, not putting it over water or anything like that, just putting the eggs in a box and seeing if they hatch or not. Um, yeah. I'm quite sure if I'm quite there yet, but um, I'm not necessarily <laughs> thinking that it, 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 it you know, you got to think sometimes these things, I mean, it, I don't know how many clutches of reptile eggs you guys have seen in the scrub, but I've seen plenty of clutches of eggs that look good that aren't in overly moist or humid conditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I don't think skink eggs are that much more different, that different to uh, the snake eggs. Obviously, there's a difference with, with true geconid eggs that have got those hard shell eggs. They have a, a lower rate of evaporative loss. Um, so there is differences there, but at the same time, it's not quite the same as everything else. So, so yeah. what you're saying is, is that when you do decide to do oxyuranus MI, you're going to document everything and write an article for Herpetoculture magazine, right? Yeah, I can do that. I was all. Hell I yeah. With that. Hell yeah. I'm happy to write a fucking article for the magazine. That doesn't worry me at all. Um, awesome. Awesome. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do that sort of shit. That doesn't worry me at all. I'm, I'm, I'm big on dissemination of information. Um, so, you know, I suppose... You know, I think we've got to wrap it up soon, but I'll, um, there's a couple of things I want to touch on too, you know, and, uh, a gratuitous plug at the same time. So we're... Um, Go for it. The thing that we're, yeah. work the thing we're working on at the moment is... Oh, yeah. Is the lizards of Australia. 
Um, this is the the final draft right here. Look, oh, fuck, I just flipped over straight to the novel page. Yeah, <laughs> there they are. Look at that, eh? <laughs> and that, that was I literally just flicked it to it then as well. So that, that's um, that's funny. See, it's an, it's an omen. Justin needs to get some. Yeah, hundred percent. So I got you telling me to get knobtails. I got Alan Stevens telling me to get ackies. I got Reed trying to give me these beaded. Well, he's not trying. I'm going to get them. But mate, if you're not keeping a lapis, you're just not keeping. That's what it comes to. Here, here. Too many, uh, too many things with legs. But you know my problem, yeah, that's what I'm is, My my problem is is that the lapids I want are from your continent, and I can't get them. <laughs> right. All I'm going to say to you is Shadekis Papuanus. Oh, I know, I know. And don't, it's a sore topic. I made regret very, very regrettable decisions. So. Oh, don't worry. I regret it for you. I regret it for you. Um, uh oh. <laughs> he regretted that much. He had to leave. Yeah. His <laughs> <laughs> computer kicked him out. That's fucking fantastic. Um, but yeah, so we've got the lizard book that, um, me and my wife have done together. So we did the snake book together and now we've done the lizard book together. And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome to have, I'm pretty lucky to have such a fantastic wife that not only humors me, but actually enjoys working with animals as well, mm -hmm. which is, um, which is pretty cool. And, you know, it's a something out there that people don't appreciate enough that, you know, that, you know, some of us are lucky enough to be able to share this hobby with our loved ones. And, um, you know, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, she's obviously a, a great herper in her own right. She she hates being on on podcasts and stuff like that. You know, it's just <laughs> the way she is. But um, she's set up a um, a pretty cool pod uh, Facebook group called Herpers, which I don't get to look at because it's a um, it's an all female herp group. Yeah, I've got a penis. I'm not allowed to be in it, so uh, <laughs> and that's fine. Um, you know, there's no dick swinging in there, so it's um, you know, apparently there's a lot of people in that that um, that are really happy to uh, to share in those groups, and it's quite an empowering thing for them. So, mm -hmm. you know, jump in that, try and look that up if you if your female listeners are looking for a, a decent a decent female orientated uh, herp group. That herp is H E R in capitals, and then P E R S. In lowercase is a, is a good one for them to join up. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'd like to see more people working with animals in a positive manner, you know, and they're the ones that we should be sort of championing, championing um, as the as the people out there. And, you know, podcasts and stuff like that that tackle topics that aren't necessarily the nicest ones and, and yeah. all the rest of it are important and they can – they can reach out to lots of people in 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 a uh, in a great way, and so uh, you know I, I think it's important to to share that information. And you know, magazines too. I love a good magazine. There's nothing wrong with a good mag. So um, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to be able to giving you something that uh, you might be able to publish at some point. That door is always open. If you ever have anything you want to include, you just let me or Phil. Uh, Hell yeah, man! Well, I'll, I'll put something together for you. So that's for sure. It's really it's blown my mind. We've had people in Austria. We have a regular contributor in Botswana. Like it's just it's crazy to me still that that it's making its way to 
you know, other corners of the, the globe, even if it's in small numbers, it's still just yeah. unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And yeah, at the end of the day, if it if you can put something together and, and it, it's it's bettering reptile keeping out there, that's that's great. And you know, the other side of it too is you you don't know how many reptile lives you save by putting out a magazine like that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I just had a, a a girl I used to work with uh, who lives very far away from all of us uh, message me out of the blue saying that her son, who's six or seven years old, is getting into lizards and asked if I was still doing this stuff and I gave her the magazine and now he's obsessed and he's reading the magazine left and right. I told her to not read the first couple issues, you know, no, the first one. So the, the first one was the, was the one that had the profanity, the, the language, right? Right. Okay. I went and redid that entire issue, got rid of the old one, replaced it with the new one. So that is not an issue anymore. Excellent. Excellent. Completely from the, like, I'm not even joking bare like blank pages yes oh wow completely All right. redid the entire thing and tried cool. to do it almost verbatim to how it was laid out in the original nice excellent so excellent took me about a week yeah. <laughs> i still it. have the other picho issues to put up to switch over to mag cloud so okay it's a very slow process okay. awesome well well i suppose we do we want to wrap it up? I suppose I think it's been yes, sir. been a bit of fun and something a something a little bit different. We've we've bounced around from one thing to another. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what we do best. It is what we do best. Yeah, well, we we didn't sort of run to any script at all, so that was that was a bit of fun, <laughs> too. right? I I equate it to bowling with the the safety rails up, like they're there to keep things on track, but that ball just. Ding, 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 bounces all the way to the last, all the way to the end of the pins. I like it. Uh, and, I, I, it's, and, it, and again, it just goes back to the thing we always say is that like, you know, this is the only hobby where you get to meet and or become friends with a lot of people that you look up to. And uh, it really means a lot to Justin and I that you could come on and share your knowledge and your experience. And we love having you as a friend, Listen. man. Man, I'm just another fucking reptile poo cleaner. <laughs> that's that's, all that's I what am. they all say too. <laughs> right. Nothing fucking right. special, dude. Um, but we we appreciate so, you coming on, man, for real. But look, we I went out herping with um, Ron Whitaker when he was over here a few years ago, and mm. mate, you talk about talk about herping in in uh, Western India. He's telling me about oh yeah, you know, this is the sort of habitat we see. Saw scale vipers in and all the rest of it. I'm fucking fanboying like a motherfucker. <laughs> and <laughs> at the end of it, he goes, he gives me his book, and um, that's the one thing. If you go out with herpers that write books, it's pretty cool. Um, uh, what does it say? Ah. Uh, so this is the the snakes of India book, right? And so he's the Classic. one of the author of it. And it says for Scott, uh, many thanks uh, and lots of fun for that her pro trip that we had, Ron Whitaker. And it's fucking signed and dated, and that's what it is. So wow. now when I look at that book, it's like, how cool is that? Now, and yeah. what he gave me then it was a his business card, and his business card says, here's his phone number. Um, you know, 
ever want to come and play with King Cobras in the wild, come and give me a call and come over to a gumbo and <laughs> come and check out the place. And I'm awesome. like, holy fuck, how cool is that? Yeah, um, man. And he's like, yeah, he goes, anyone that wants to come over, he goes, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, happy to see what we can do to, to help. Because, you know, you go there, you pay pay your money and all the rest to, to stay there, and that money's going back into reptile conservation. It's not going to some other thing. And, yeah, you can't pick them up. He goes, this is the thing. He goes, you go there, you can't pick the snakes up. You're not allowed to capture them. You're not allowed to do any of that. He goes, because we've got – India's got some pretty significant laws. He goes, it's no different to here, mate. No way out it goes. It's fine. You know, yeah. Um, so the the reptile keeping community out there and the reptile community out there is is amazing. You do get to meet people from all across the world, and it's it's a lot of fun. They've got all the coolest boiga. <laughs> yeah. Plus all the ones that aren't described. Right. Right. It's like uh, I think that book covers over two hundred independent species endemic just to India. Yeah, there's a shitload in there, and I'm, from what I hear, it's woefully out of date. Um, wow. So, uh, I just picked up uh, a set of the the reptiles and the amphibians of British India, uh, and a copy of the reptiles in the Indo Pacific by Daru. And they came from the states because some person was getting rid of them relatively cheap. Wow! Um, and they're an amazing set of books. Um, you know, I'm kind of kind of scared to open them up and have a look through them because they're fucking so expensive. But you know, <laughs> at some point in time, I'm going to need to and, and go from there. But it's um, the one thing I like about reptile books is you don't need to feed them or clean them. That's yeah. true. I got that uh, that Chimera uh, dart frog book. That cost me like 150 yep. bucks. And I was like so protective of that thing when I first got in because my daughter was around with like drinks and stuff. And I'm like, take the cup away. <laughs> yeah. Like, no fluids around yeah. this book. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm a little bit anal about about the way you open books up and stuff like that because I don't like people picking them up at the center of the spines and shit like that. And just, you know, my wife thinks it's quite funny how how anally retentive I am around books, but I don't really give a <laughs> shit about clothes on the floor or something like that. You know, right? Like, right. Yeah, yeah, you can leave the house in a fucking pigsty, but you, you want to make sure the books are you okay. You can buy another shirt. But you ain't getting another copy of of certain books. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not trying to to, to try to go down that road. That's a losing argument. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like to think that men like to think that they're the boss of the relationship. Um, the reality of it is, is that we think we're the boss in the relationship, but they tell us the style and clothes and shit like that that we're allowed to do and not allowed to do and all the rest of it. Yeah, so uh, I wouldn't have it any other way though, that's for sure. Hell yeah, man. Well, where can people get a hold of you if they have any burning questions? Uh, burning questions. Um, they can shoot me a message on Stalkbook. That's not a drama. Um, my my name is pretty uh, uh, pretty unusual, so it's pretty easy to find me in that regard. Um, otherwise, if you want to get a book and you want it uh, signed, uh, jump onto our website, www.wildlifedemonstrations.com. Um, we will happily ship overseas if people want them shipped overseas. Um, it's pretty expensive to ship them overseas, though, so, um, you know, 
maybe if you want to get together with a couple of mates and bind together, that's that's fine too. It doesn't really worry us. So. Um, Lizard Book will be out mid-year and, uh, you know, we've got a, always got other things on the uh, on the horizon. So, um, you know, we'll... We'll see how we go. We've got I've got a couple of papers that I'm working on as well at the moment too. So, um, you know, hopefully they'll come out soonish. And um, you know, we've got a, a really interesting paper on um, on albinism, or a review of albinism and colour mutations in Australian elapids and colubrids. That um, sort of has been a uh, it's gone over and basically looked at everything that's been published as well as a whole heap of stuff that hasn't been published. So we're going to considerably um, increase the amount of mutations that are out there in regards to uh, published data. Awesome. I love it. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, we cool. definitely appreciate it, man. This will most definitely not be the last time that we have you on. Uh, you know, when the lizard book comes out, definitely like to have you come on and talk about the whole process with that and everything. And we'll, We'll make it happen. Yeah, look, happy, happy to do it. And look, if um, if anyone's got any questions, you know, I'm always happy to, to to see what I can do to try and help people out with stuff like that. And you know, photos and things like that, we're happy to donate photos to um to causes that are environmental as well. So, you know, if if someone wants a photo or something and they for a conservation project, we're more than happy to help out. Awesome, excellent. All right, man. Well, have a good rest of your day. It's damn near one a.m. here, so yeah, two thirty in the afternoon here, mate. I've got to go force feed some plates. Nice, nice. <laughs> have fun. All right, thanks, guys. Thank Later. you.